I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here in the now, I am hearing the now as I listen, and I listen to the sound that grows on up from the ground. Can you hear now? Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and today is an absolute treat because because I've got here with me Tristan Bray. Tristan, how are you, brother? I'm really good, really good. How are you? Oh man, I'm blessed to have you here today. Just for those listening in that didn't listen to the first podcast with Tristan, um, Tristan has been a regression therapist for about ten years. He brings his depth in-depth background in psychotherapy, meditation, quantum healing, cell biology, epigenetics, kinesiology, psychopharmacology, sexual health, diet, detox, philosophy, metaphysics, Taoism, shamanism, entheogens, qigong, kung fu, and modern medical sciences. This is where the good stuff is to his clients in his talks and his workshops. He currently shares his skills as a therapist, a life coach, and a counsellor. Throughout his 20s, Tristan studied internationally in the healing arts. He's passionate about reminding people that the human capacity for healing is truly limitless. Tristan helps to open his clients' minds to how many super natural super abilities we all possess to enhance our life that have actually been squashed out of the mainstream belief system due to reductionist scientific dogma and disempowering of religions. Um, Tristan's healing treatments, seminars and workshops are primarily focused around clearing trauma and sharing why this is so important to all of us. Trauma is the biggest cause of ill health in our world because it, is, it will often permanently change the body's physiology, emotions and spiritual outlook if it's not actually dealt with correctly. Much of modern medicine looks at putting a band-aid effect over the current effect of trauma as opposed to clearing it back at the creation point. And if I may, like, there's been, I think I shared this with you just before you jumped on, and, uh, you know, the, the last podcast that we did together has definitely left a, uh, a massive imprint on myself. Um, it's when people ask about the Inspired Evolution podcast, depending on what they're sort of tuning into, generally I prescribe them the podcast that's relevant to them. But if there's n if they're just looking for a touch place to start, I always prescribe the podcast that we shared with together because it was so deep. So thank you so much for your time here today, bro. 
Awesome, thanks, dude. Yeah, like it's actually been getting, still getting some really nice messages from people who've listened to that podcast the first time. There's, there's one guy actually just contacted me the other day. And he's like, "It's like the best two hours of my life." Listen to it. And I've actually, I've, it's, it's funny sometimes because I, 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 I've listened to that podcast a few times and. It's it's funny when you hear yourself say something and you're like, well, that's a cool idea. Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Because what I found sometimes is when you get into that that flow, that connection with with recording like this or just talking to someone, you know, where you actually um, things start happening, ideas start to come through mm-hmm. that you can't just think up if you're just there by yourself. Totally. You know, you just it just doesn't doesn't happen uh-huh. so it's amazing what can develop and what can come through when you are uh, when you're interacting with someone and you know like again Alan Watts he's, he says that you don't really know yourself without the other it's interesting that isn't yeah. it yeah because I, I don't know what I know and then if you ask me a question who like it can be really quite far out like it completely you know you ask me questions stuff I'm very unprepared to answer but then things <laughs> happen and it's like, oh well, that's a cool idea. <laughs> yeah, but you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is definitely based on good data and stuff like this too. You know, so I'm not, I'm not just making things up. <laughs> well, that things things come through. The thing that um, always amazed me about conversations, well, we were actually, I was having this um, this chat with one of my clients the other day, and he was saying, "What's the point in talking about it?" And I reference exactly the same quote that you just put out. It's like finding yourself in the other person and that rebound effect of having that conversation it's the mirror that exposes so much more than you inherently knew and i find it amazing that it's for me personally and i'm sure what you're referring to is much the same is there's often these these disparate ideas which are you know all very potent in it but in conversation you're kind of drawn to drawing a lot of these things together and that sort of and that that clarity and that linearity which comes through just through conversation, being able to articulate that to someone else, um, yeah. Is, yeah. is really profound. That effect it's it's become everything to me. Hence the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting, like um, like what your friend was saying. Why I talk about it? Like one of the, the the boggles I've had with people who do like a university degree, and you you hang out with someone for a year, and then you find that they've got two degrees, and they never mention it, they never talk about it. And they never talk about what they know. They actually know all this pretty groovy stuff that they decided to study and pay money to study. Yeah. But some people don't talk about it. And I think it's really valuable um, to realize there's a level of responsibility. that if you're actually studying and learning on what, in whatever manner, you actually have a responsibility to pass it on. And because you studied it, you must be interested on some level. Mm-hmm. So allow this to um, empower you. And it, you know, give you passion to kind of pass it on to other people. So I think it's everyone, as we learn, it's, it's a responsibility to, to, to pass this back into the collective. Because you might do a degree for four years and there'll be like a really juicy bit there somewhere that's really valuable um, to pass on to someone. Because they don't have time or don't want to do the same degree as you, but there's something really juicy that you can pass on. Like, you know, I'll, I'll read a whole book and there might be like one paragraph which is gold and worth talking about. And the rest is like pretty redundant. And it's 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 my responsibility after you know sifting through that book to go oh there's this really good paragraph it's really good to pass that on you know mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's um there's there's something in there what you're referring to which is uh I've come to discover as well is that you is there's this this um this suppression of sharing back especially in today's day and age which 
I think you've got a bit of wisdom around this, which is, you know, in, in the information technology, it's like consume, 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 but not really having making the effort to share back. Um, yeah. And not in the way I look at it is create. So we consume, yeah. but we don't create. We consume, but we don't create. And I see that as like a, a quite a insidious rep, like a repression. Yeah, well, you can even look at replace the word with, um, consume with possess, uh-huh. where people are looking at to possess information as if it was uh, like, a, like a currency. Mm-hmm. So you might go down your Facebook feed and open up four documents and open cool articles. Do you actually read each article? Or do you kind of open it and go, oh, this is a cool idea, I'll read it later, you know? Because I've got more scrolling to do. And you open up <laughs> stuff, you sort of like, then all the tabs on your, your feed, and then, oh, I'll fit a bookmark these out. I'm sure maybe if the internet goes off, I'll be able to save this. Like, I don't know. So it's more this idea of possessing information in a kind of a hedonistic way, as opposed to um, metabolizing that information and um, absorbing it and seeing if there's some good stuff there. And also looking at, uh, like a Hawaiian, a Hawaiian mystic once said to me, um, like some people turn on the TV to watch the news, and he's like, I don't do that because I know I don't need to know. So also looking at the, if you are really going to start metabolizing information, is it is it useless information? Because if it's from a really kind of, if it's from MSNBC, for example, or something like that, or CNN, it might actually be convoluted in a way to push a certain agenda, you know, to make it feel a certain way. I think it was the Daily, Daily Telegraph the other day. Uh, that they should be in hot water. I'm not sure if they are. But the, the headline at the front said Captain Crybaby, and it had the uh, ex-Australian cricket captain. I think it's this dude. Um, he's crying, and it's the front page. And this is such um, toxic media because it's, it's pushing the fact that... Um, it's immensely um, embarrassing and shameful that this whole bull tampering scandal has led someone to become so emotionally unwell, and then everyone's making fun of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and to see that as far you know, once you start applying that to the the rates of um, male youth suicide in our country, around suicide is a shame management tool, right? Yep. where you feel so bad about yourself and there's no safe container to metabolize process and um, have someone or people hold space for you to move through your emotions, what you're going through. And then to see that in our culture, we, we see as deeply, um, well, well, these mainstream newspapers and a lot of ma- mainstream people are actually toroidally pushing this agenda continually around male shame and emotions. So... There's a lot of toxic media out there. So what are you actually reading? You know, it's a, it's, and it's, a, it's a tricky one. So I think yeah, yeah, possessing information, everything like that. It's it's it, it's a funny one. And to really look, take if you're looking at good articles and stuff like that, to you know don't read too much. You can only take on so many new concepts at a time, mm-hmm. and to actually work with these and um you know em- embody these concepts. So yeah, so look at what you're reading. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh that was profound. So the slide is a shame management tool. I've never really um, looked at it like that, and it's quite a quite a sinister, <laughs> quite well, a sinister finding. Yeah. Well, you do like you think about it. It's it's shame. We talked about Dr. David Hawkins and and actually grading human emotions on an energetic level, and like shame, self-loathing, and guilt are the lowest energies where you you're you're it's the most unhealthy states of consciousness 
and most uncomfortable. Quite a lot lower than anger and things like that. Yeah. So, for a lot of people, when they're feeling guilt and shame, it's like this this guy who's tampering with the cricket ball or whatever, he's on suicide watch. You know? Yeah. And there's a, there's a pretty far out article I put on my Opportunity Hill Facebook page the other day looking at these different sporting heroes around Australia who are actually have been caught, you know, beating up women, harassing women, abusing women, and they're still playing the game. Yeah. And they haven't gone into the same level of um, public scrutiny and um, shaming and guilt and everything like that. Yeah. To actually see that tampering with a cricket ball, like sanding an edge of it, so it spins in a slightly different way, uh-huh. is is on a national is like a national shame compared to, like, beating your girlfriend up and being convicted of it. Well, see, this was the so, thing. Like, yeah. I, I watched... Uh, there was this meme that went up on Facebook, and I was... <laughs> it summed it up perfectly. It was like, uh, refugees, meh. Like, Australians' attitudes towards things, right? And I'm not condemning all Australians. Obviously, this is just a gross generalisation. But this is what the media projects, right? So, uh, the, the boats and refugees, meh, you know? Um all these other things that were like like violence against women, meh. All these things that were super like coral, super coral bleaching, yeah. you know. The, yeah, the, yeah completely gone. Stop Adani, meh. You know, all these things which really mattered, like the indigenous closing down local communities, meh. Ball tampering, what the fuck? Like, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, like, what values are we projecting? Totally. And you and I talked about this last time when we talked about um, the Australian sporting culture producing a lot of uh, sociopathic competition and leading to sociopathic comp- um, capitalism, sociopathic entrepreneurism, and again, sociopathic kind of ideals means that you are comfortably numb enough to thrive off the demise of other people. Yep. Yeah. So these sorts of media scandals where these sorts of witch hunts, you know, where this person is condemned for life. Um, that's that sort of sociopathic energy where you can actually print a headline that C- Captain Crybaby everyone goes, oh, the guy's crying, you know, I'm going to buy the newspaper. It's, it's to see that within the culture that that is that uh, emotionally unwell, that this is still happening. And what's happened lately, like, you know, you got this, uh, that guy, um, he's, he's mentally unwell and he's detoxing off painkillers and his, his, doctor sends the police around to his house to make sure he's okay and he says please don't come in i'm detoxing i'm unwell like just just please leave like i'm, I'm going through a process you know he's in his house yeah the police the police drag him outside um hold him on the ground and pepper spray his face and then he's kneeling there then they get high pressure hose him and then the, the cops are there like doing selfies high pressure hosing this guy who's just like falling apart emotionally crippled shamed abused on the lawn, and the high, like high pressure hosing him, and the police didn't know that this guy had see, you know, a, a, a surveillance camera on his front balcony and just filmed the whole thing. So what's happening now? We're seeing these police atrocities in Australia, which which are very similar to the the racial police atrocities happening in the United in States. The this, this is this is not racial, man. This is just people being um, bad people. And the police are public servants, public servants mm-hmm. who are here to uh, help and protect us. Mm-hmm. And to see that people are using, if you get someone who's really scared inside and really afraid of people and can see that becoming a police officer is going to help them feel less afraid. 
so they can beat down on other people to enforce their sense of self. And it's to see that the that these basically these these you know these these emotionally crippled weak men are going and becoming police officers so they can beat people to feel better about themselves and then take selfies and stuff like that. And to see that this well yeah yeah this this is these men you know but to see that this this is actually um, re-perpetuated or there's a, a complicit energy in the the feminine in our culture too. Like you have this Florida shooter. In, uh, our culture, when I say our culture, I actually mean, you know, like maybe the West or humanity. Yeah. But you have the Florida shooter, that kid who went and shot 17 people at school recently. Uh-huh. It came out the other day that the courts have been intercepting all the mail that he's been receiving since he's been imprisoned uh-huh. before his trial. And he's receiving, like, all these love letters from, from women and, you know, sexual photographs, sexual propositions young women his age at school going, you know, like, I saw you on the news, and I think you're amazing, and, you know, like, you're really attractive, stuff like that. And he's just gone to school and shot 17 people, and now he's receiving, like, uh, love letters from girls who are like, wow, you know, like, how about you and me, you know? So to see that there's, when when men become violent and powerful in this way, that is so an element in the feminine, which is unfortunately attracted to this, which creates even more of a, um, you know, uh, okay. a motivation. Unfortunately, like so, it's a, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs in the masculine and feminine that this sorts of, like, you know, the guy, the cop who's taking the selfie as he's like, high pressure hosing the dude in the face who's just pepper sprayed in the eyeballs. Is he gonna send it to his girlfriend and go, hey, like, great day at the office, you know, like, yeah. well, what? Well, it's like, you know, like, like seriously, these dudes, like, this this sort of evidence can make you lose your job. Is it? And it's worth it. Is it like worth it? Is it fucking worth it? Like, I don't know. So there's this thing that's coming up at the moment is just bravado, right? So it's like this whole this whole masculine screening thing, like the cop that's doing this, you know, that is let's whoever's bullying whatever because of their own insecurities, and then there's that whole other insidious shift into it, which is obviously the feminine like looking perhaps there is a feminine energy that is looking for masculinity and not finding it um but finds some sort of exhibition of male like male display in this dude that's gone and shot school so it's like i've referred to this to as pseudo masculinity for quite some time it's like this synthetic overlay which doesn't really it's like this screen between what is actually real and what is um being perceived um uh-huh. is there i think we sort of touched on this but is is the cure to that vulnerability hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, the, the cures. <laughs> you remember we talked about last time how, like, you know, the cure to a lot of things is connecting with nature? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. So once you realize you're a, you're part of everything else, you go into a pretty epic state of radical self-assessment into what you're creating in the environment. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about pseudo-masculinity, it's like, you know, let's say, let's say you own a corporation and you're producing weapons and you're also producing like, um, like giant um, military-style bulldozers that can go into a forest and like, shoot the natives while you chop down the biggest trees. Kind of like on Avatar, you know, this sort of thing. You're producing these, right? Now, you need people to run this machine. So you need some people up there with some guns, you know, shoot the natives, and you need some dudes to chop down the trees, you know. Very much like what you see on Avatar, which you also see on the um, Fern Gully, you know, movie as well, uh, that Disney movie. Now, now, if you're running this corporation, you're building these machines, you need, um, well, you need, you know, trees, um, and you need, like, uh, people to run your machines, and you need, you know, if you have a conflict in the country, that means it's going to be a lot easier to break the government down to get in there and take the trees or whatever, you know. So you need a lot of uh, disconnection. You need people to fight each other and stuff like that. So if you have a culture of men who are aggressive and disconnected from themselves, their hearts, the feminine Mother Earth, these are going to be the perfect sorts of dudes to help run your military-style um, destructive corporation. Mm-hmm. Will not run it to be your your pawns, and then the person yourself, let's say hypothetically, is the person who owns the corporation. You need to be essentially a total sociopath, because you because if you are responsible for the decisions that are hurting people, hurting the earth, and hurting these trees, and hurting the environment, you need to be disconnected from that entirely to feel comfortable with it. So. Having living in a culture like a lot of the cultural values around the pseudo masculinity in Australia means that there are men available who are going to go and um, beat down on a certain part of the population as police. Um, we look at the kind of hyper militarized police situation in the United States with some of these race wars that are going on, where there's these um, protests against um, racial. Um, some of the ways there's still weird racial kind of um, issues and values and stuff like that happening where, like, you look at some of the race riots in the, you know, around you know, Martin Luther King's time, you need these kind of cops who are going to really go and like, beat up African-American people or even shoot them, knowing they're not going to get in trouble because they're helping this kind of, this corporate system and keeping the people segregated and, and fighting. So... People who are men who are disconnected and beaten down and disconnected from their own emotions in this way become harder and harder and more stoic and more numb. Which means that when oh yeah we're going to invade Vietnam, who wants to volunteer? There's people who are like, you know, going to volunteer in World War One and World War Two. Like you got kids who want to volunteer and there might be a problem with their eyesight or they're too young. There's there's, there's young boys out there who kill themselves if they don't get accepted into the military and all their mates are going. You know, so. Is there's people who really want to go out there and prove their pseudo-masculinity. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the really far out ways that we can see that the feminine is complicit in this imbalance is that there's a... Unfortunately, we have a, a long-term epigenetic value or value system 
in, in our bodies where um, if you live in a hostile environment, let's say it's millennia ago and you're living like uh, in, a, in a jungle and you, you're there raising a family in a cave and the woman is there with the three children, let's say, and she's taking care of them and like a, a predatory animal comes to the cave entrance like a tiger. You need your, your man to chase away the tiger or kill it. Not to become emotional, not to become afraid, but to be strong and literally deal with the situation immediately. Mm-hmm. That means that your chance of passing on your genes and your children surviving, your self-surviving is higher. Uh-huh. So there's, a, there's an orientation in the feminine body to be attracted to very hard men mm-hmm. who can protect you and your family. However, we don't, many of us don't live in that kind of world anymore where we're actually safe. Okay. Yeah. It means we're actually living in a world where the spiritual evolution of the masculine can take place because we're not having to be hard anymore. So if you look at Australia and New Zealand, for example, a lot of the, the white settlers who came here, or the non-Aboriginal settlers who came here, this was a very foreign, harsh land, Australia and New Zealand. And to, to raise children, to raise families, to, to chop down the forest and build homes and to um, you know, create a space, for this sort of colonization, men needed to be hard on quite an intense level. Mm-hmm. So women who wanted to have a successful lifestyle were attracted to not so much intellectual men in these lands or men who are dressed in silk doing qigong, but hard men with chainsaws and axes and men who could can fight and like be tough. But unfortunately, those attractive values in men and women are quite prehistoric. Yeah, I was just feeling that in a different kind of brain. Yeah. So there's there's an evolution in women, which means that women are being attracted to different types of men, realizing that the the spiritual evolution of men is very important to actually start creating um, together as men and women good decisions in in, in local government and politics on a personal level on a family level um, to make good decisions to help each other and help the planet with love. And for, to help men to open their hearts and open their sensitivity to, 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 to everything, to their own personal mysticism, you know. So it's, it, men and women are in it together. And this idea of blaming men or women is, is redundant. It's, it's the, the, everyone has masculinity and femininity inside them. So it's, 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 we're in it together. And that's why for men to really open and heal, they need to be, Loved through all the imbalances by by um, by anyone, but by particular if they're their feminine partner or a female partner, to to be loved until we soften, and it's it's a super it's a super magical thing for for a loving relationship to soften you and open you and make you realise that the ways that you've been shut down, numb and hard are are completely uh, not needed in our current culture. So this. The reinforcement of this culture through you know, um, aggressive, violent sports and um, the way the media talks about certain issues that we just mentioned, um, unfortunately, is, is a part of the problem. But once you understand that having hard, numb men in particular, or women, this helps military involvement in other countries, you know. Um, and, like, was it... In, uh, Barack Obama's last year of office, they dropped like 26,000 bombs on other countries. You know? It's like, it's like people are like, yeah, whatever. What do bombs do, man? They hurt people. So if you're numb enough, you can, and if you're living in the United States, for example, and you're numb, you're not going to really mind 
that your that, that your government, your supposedly quite peaceful president, is bombing other countries. Like when when um, Donald Trump launched that Tomahawk cruise missile attack on a Syrian airbase, one of the reporters, I think it was CNN, was watching a video of the the Tomahawk missiles, which cost tens of billion dollars each. They watched these missiles taking off from the the the, the frigates in the Mediterranean and said it was just a beautiful sight as these missiles fly off to kill people in Syria. You know, to see that this sort of military action, unprovoked, is is beautiful yeah. and expensive. What what can you build with, with tens of millions of dollars, you know, that you're going to spend on one Tomahawk missile when you can actually, you know, and look, yeah. at, look at some of the names, look at some of these missiles. Like the other missile that they use from the drones is called a Hellfire missile. It's like some kind of like yeah. us Christians, this Christian, this like hyper Christian American government is producing hellfire missiles to go punish, you know, non Christian people who have oil and stuff like that. Like, dude, like it's, it's things are a bit upside down. So to see that if if, if men become soft, softer, mm-hmm. and more open, more gentle, and more in touch with the earth and the sun and each other. This, isn't, these missiles are not even going to be produced or made. They're going to be taken apart, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be producing free energy and like, you know, technology to help each other and help the planet. You know, creative technology. A Tomahawk missile is decreative technology. Destructive, yeah. Um, something that's flagged for me is, um, you've probably heard about this this monkey experiment, right? They put. Um, they put five monkeys in a cage, right? They put a ladder and a banana up the top, okay? And they send, and every time, like, this monkey attempts to go up to the top to go get the banana, they high-pressure hose him, and he falls flat on the... No, sorry. They high-pressure hose all the other monkeys. Yeah, so they haze all the other monkeys. This dude goes up the top, gets the banana. He comes down, and he gets bashed by all the others because they all got fucking high-pressure hosed for him, and he went and got a reward. Cool. The next time someone else attempts it, the high-pressure hose all the other monkeys, and that monkey gets raised by the other monkeys when he comes back down. This can this continually happens until eventually the monkeys figure out that if one of us goes up and gets the banana, the other monkeys are going to haze me because they're going to cop it, right? So none of them goes up and gets the gets the banana. So this experiment continues, and no monkeys going up to get the banana. So now what they do is they swap out a monkey for a fresh monkey. Right <laughs> now, this fresh monkey decides, yeah, I'm going to go up and get the banana because there's a banana up there, right? His instincts and his intuition is like banana, so he goes up to get the banana, goes up, comes back down, get from getting the banana. The other monkeys bash the crap out of him, right? They continue this experiment until all the original monkeys have now been swapped out. Yeah, no more high pressure hosing, right? It's just you get the banana, you come back down, you get smashed, right? So now there's five new monkeys in this experiment, they swap out a new monkey for another newer, newer monkey. He comes in, attempts to go up, he gets completely throttled, right? He doesn't, he doesn't get to go get the banana. And the reason this is coming to mind is because for me, that is a classic example of how like society plays out. Like when you ask why we do it this way, it's just the way things are done around here, son. It's like, what do you mean? Why don't we all just go up, split the banana five ways and enjoy ourselves? But, like, yeah. that's not done. It's like no one goes up there. 
because yeah. why? We don't know anymore. But it's just yeah. the done thing around here. Yeah. And I yeah. think for me what was coming up was, as you were sharing that, is that story reflects vulnerability mm-hmm. and the idea that, you know, if I make myself vulnerable and there's four others in the room that are not willing to get vulnerable, mm-hmm. then I'm opening myself up to potentially being knocked back. Yep. Right? And then that's where it's a real interesting paradigm where in this I feel like where we're at now it's like vulnerability and I've heard this a few places now is that vulnerability is the new strength but it's almost like strength is being convoluted as courage it takes courage to be vulnerable yep well it's I think this this what's far out compared to sport is these things keep coming up they actually create a um like I can sit here and bag out competitive sport until the cows come home Uh but I don't know if you say that in Australia until the cows come home. It's an interesting thing. And then the cows come home at the end of the day and you milk them, it's a thing. Um, yeah. So, I can bag up competitive sport, but at the same time, um, like the Springbok tour in New Zealand in the 1980s brought New Zealand together as a, as a nation of um, Maori and Polynesian people with, with white Pakiha people as a, a unified nation with two official languages who want to unify together against apartheid. Mm-hmm. Because of rugby, that happened. It actually brought this this beautiful synergy. You look at the um, who was the Aboriginal AFL player who had all this controversy a few years ago um, in Melbourne around what's his name? Goodies, um, Goodies, John Goodies. Yeah, basically that polarised the nation around. He did some. It's like an Aboriginal kind of gesture after scoring a touchdown or whatever you get in AFL, and. They wanted to make that illegal, and then it brought up a whole lot of racial tension in, in Australia and a lot of internal conversation around who are we in Australia. But it was it was mainstream football. Mm-hmm. Now now you have this ball tampering incident in cricket. You know we're going full circle here. You know what's next? You know swimming. Um, so so ball tampering. Now now this so this guy is in a press conference breaking down and crying. Mm-hmm. This takes a huge amount of um, what the, vulnerability is emotional truth. This guy is emotional and he's showing it. If you're not vulnerable, you're just going to be like, "Fuck you guys." Yeah, I I sanded the ball, you know, I made a bunch of cash. I don't regret it. I'll do it again, you know. Fuck cricket. And if he was just like cool about it, that's generally what people expect. Mm-hmm. This guy is breaking down, right? Now that takes a huge amount of courage. And vulnerability. Vulnerability to me is emotional truth, emotional transparency. What is actually happening in your body? You're not actually internalizing the emotion and tracking it in there and killing yourself. You're actually letting the emotion out. So actually being able to cry is a cathartic process, which is very natural. However, a lot of young boys, men, teenagers, are constantly conditioned by their mothers, their dads, by men around them. Um, maybe not so directly to not cry. Yeah. Don't cry. Stop crying. Stop crying. You know. And this means that um, we get into the habit of internalizing emotions as men sometimes, you know, a lot of the time. Now, if all the men and all the media and everyone at that press conference was like, you know, look, we can tell that you really regret it, and look, you know, we're sorry too, and um, and we forgive you, and we want you to feel okay, and we can see that you know you made a mistake, and um, it's really beautiful that you're having this, this experience, and um, and we all believe you can move on. And we can all learn something from this and and hold space for them. Now, that will take a huge amount of courage on a national level. 
However, like you said with the monkeys, they just smashed them. They just smashed them in the in the media headlines, every national shame. What the prime minister said was just deplorable. Yeah, the prime minister, the the um, you know the political head of Australia said, you know, national shame, all this sort of thing. You know, so can you see that? Everyone did the, the weakest thing possible, not most courageous, the weakest thing possible by actually ridiculing this dude. It's like, oh, yeah, we're not as bad as him. He tampered with a cricket ball. You know, he's the lowest of the low. You know, we're all better than him. So to everyone is reinforcing our sense of self. Oh, we are so integral. I'd, I'd never tamper with a cricket ball, would you? No. Oh, never. Never. I wouldn't even think about it. I'd probably punish myself if I even thought about it, you know. Um, so to see that this guy is now on suicide watch. So... The, the culture we live in is re-perpetuating his sense of guilt, shame, and self-loathing. And to see that on a, on a social, energetic level, we're being sociopathic together. Yeah. yeah? Which is, again, is, this is how like uh, nationalism runs when it comes to military conflict, sporting conflict, and everything like that. You know, If you look at the sort of negativity between Australia and New Zealand when it came to the, the famous underarm bowl from the Australian cricket team to New Zealanders in the 1980s, this... This created so much negativity between Australia and New Zealand through one single act um, of bad sportsmanship. And to see that, like, it takes so much more courage to be loving and compassionate and forgiving. Because we have a forgiveness and atonement deficit in our culture where this guy has been literally being ostracized culturally. You know, he might have to move to another country where people don't know who he is. What's going to happen when he walks down the street now? You know, yeah. this guy, you know, the, the prime minister said he's a national shame. So, you know, he's better off to go live on some, like, far away, like, island in Siberia by himself and think about what he does, did. And maybe when he reincarnates, we'll have a meeting and see if he should get another chance. But, again, it's, that's what it's like. It's this witch hunt mentality. Yeah, and we think about the witch hunts and, all, you know, all these women who are, like, you know, midwives and um, healers and herbalists, you know, in England and, 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 and in the United States, um, you know, 500 years ago, we were burnt at the stake and drowned for witchcraft. This witch hunt, witch hunt mentality that these, we don't understand these sorts of people, so we're just going to get rid of them. This, this, it's, 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 this sort of witch hunt mentality is completely active in our culture. And it's, it's, very, it's very scary because... It, we need to really look at that and look at ourselves and look at how we are uh, supporting that with what we're thinking, what we're talking about, how we're socialising, and what we think about these people when we're told they're in national shame for um, tampering with a cricket ball. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, I'll segue from that into... I love a big segue. <laughs> I love a big segue. <laughs> real hard. Yeah. And um, the... The magic and the witchcraft, and I was reading something recently by, uh, I was reading a bit of Nostradamus, and um, talking about how anything that's reasonable technology, um, that is like technology from the future or inspirational, um, is going to seem like to the current day person as magic. So like if I was to talk to someone in like, let's just say the year 1000 and walking around with one of these in my hand and just like beeping across messages to other people, they'd be like, that's pretty much black magic, what you're doing there, um, and just technology. And so I think that kind of gives me a nice little space to, to really open up a dialogue between um, what I really want to get to today is a lot of the a lot of the mystical sort of stuff, but a lot of the um, 
anchoring that and with the science, which is what I think a lot of people got out of the last conversation we had together, which is there's a lot of um there's a lot of spiritual pursuit at the moment, especially I think I feel a lot of people are on this vis- uh, spiritual pursuit, um, but a lot of people don't know where to turn or how to turn, and a lot of um, people even when they're on the pursuit kind of get discombobulated along the way as well. Um, when there's certain things that oh is that legitimately what it is or if it, or is it not? Um, and I think last time when we talked about the quantum field, that had a lot of um, it really opened up this whole new I want to say can of worms, but this whole new um, frame of reference for the way things were um, potentially going with science, like supporting the findings that we've had with some of these mystical occurrences. And I think uh, something we touched on last time was my experience with my partner and when she was overseas and she was having these amazing shifts because she was just connected from her job and travelling and experiencing herself. And um, at the same time, I'm like mirroring the same theme of development in my life, even though I'm not the one that's, I'm still in my day-to-day job. And we touched on quantum entanglement, um, which since then I've still got baggage around the word entanglement, so I call it quantum connection. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the entanglement. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to sort of touch on that. Um, and perhaps you could shed light on where um, where this all sort of, like where the understanding around quantum physics sort of came from. Like, because it was a branch, like physics was physics for a while, but quantum sort of turned its head on itself, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Physics was physics for a while. I mean, there's, thing, there's an idea called classical mechanics. Yeah, exactly. All right? And classical mechanics it, 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 it more applies to Newton's laws mm-hmm. and physical reality. And like they, they also call it like billiard ball kind of mechanics or billiard ball physics where, you know, you know your physical thing that's going this fast and it's got this much kinetic energy and it's going to transfer it to this and the kinetic energy is going to be dissipated in heat and sound and then this thing's going to go over there. It's really good for like landing um, like um, modules on other planets and everything like that. You know, you've got projectiles, you've got orbits, you've got forces, you've got gravity, um, classical mechanics. Now, this whole other idea of like uh, quantum mechanics is is um, is pretty far out because it, it means that we are having to look at reality in a very different way because classical mechanics, it's very easy to interact with it because we can see it and feel it and smell it and hear it, you know, this sort of thing. So a direct experience. That's you. right. You know, it's like the apple fell off the tree and landed on Isaac Newton's head. It's like, okay, right, it's just, you know, ouch, there's something going on. So, I mean, the idea with entanglement is interesting. I think maybe um, if there's some issue you have around being locked in a dungeon and tied up in a past life and you felt entangled, you know, maybe just like metabolize that away, um, you know. It's amazing. One of the things I'm looking at at the moment is when, total segue, but I'll come back, yeah. is it's like people who are attracted to certain types of like um, uh, sexual, um, what's the word? Um, I can't remember the word. Fish, let's say, where, hey, I want to be tied up, but I want to feel safe because I don't know why. And looking at this amazing book at the moment um, around moving traumas, let's say people have a traumatic incident. Let's say your brother tied you up when you were a little kid and you freaked out. Yeah. You, your body is naturally drawn to repeating the same events in a safe environment. Ah. So it metabolize the trauma. Right? So then you get your girlfriend to tie you up and you do some, like, um, you know, um, Fifty Shades of Grey type stuff. And then you're not traumatized anymore. So this means that that 
people are attracted to sometimes these sort of, some people would call it a sexual perversion, that's a ridiculous word, but this kind of sexual fetish or sexual kind of thing, to actually feel safe or, or have your hair pulled or something like that, but then you can metabolize the trauma. Yeah. It's super far up. Yeah, super far up. So it's, we're, we're drawn to sometimes these things to actually heal. Okay. So, um, so entanglement, you know, don't take terminology too seriously. If you're feeling triggered, it's something you need to look at. But terminology, man, we can sit here and argue about terminology all day and yeah. waste of time because our language is pretty, like, cumbersome. Quantum <laughs> yeah. entanglement. All right, so there's this dude called um, John Bell who was from um, Belfast. He died in 1990. He's um, from Belfast in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh-huh. And he was a physicist. He was a, he was a tip-top physicist. And he, he wrote this paper in 1964, um, which eventually, the paper wasn't called Bell's Theorem, but there was a, a mathematical aspect to the paper called Bell's Theorem. Uh-huh. Bell's Theorem is a, is, a, is a mathematical idea that, a, um, that you can get two entangled particles, let's say, whether it be light, physical matter. This has been expanded on to be two entangled things can be two entangled people. Yeah. Now, Bell's Theorem, when it was published, it didn't really get noticed much for, for a few years yeah. and there were certain people who read it and went whoa man this this guy's onto something and it kind of got passed around the world you know and more and more people were like oh man Bell's theorem and like you know you're into it yeah I'm into it it became like the kind of the cool the cool thing to think about yeah the new veganism yeah. at the time yeah man <laughs> yeah, Bell's theorem is is interesting because it it, it wasn't verified straight away. Mm-hmm. It's actually been verified completely. And there's actually an experimental test now called the Bell test, um, where you can kind of test stuff. Now, Bell's theorem basically, um, I'll give you an example, is, is you, you can um, get a schism, like a, a photon of light, and you can, you can basically shoot it into a crystal. And this crystal is going to split that, that photon into two particles that are going to be... Um, it's going to have the same amount of energy, but they're going to be shoot out the other side of the crystal is two, and one see that they're going to always um, display the opposite effect. So one might be have an upspin, one might have a downspin. These two particles, and what they usually do is they will shoot the light into this thing called a um, a beta barium borate crystal, which is a it's an inorganic um, crystal compound which is perfect for this. Now they send the particles off down fiber optic pathways, uh-huh. and they can, one, they can set up these different instruments to, to measure these particles. So one of the things they do is they have an interferometer, uh, interfer, interferometer, okay? I'm not sure how, exactly how to say it, but basically that will test if the particle is spinning up or spinning down. Mm-hmm. You shoot it one direction, and it might go 10 kilometers, and it gets this little, because um, the fiber optics, man, you can just spin them around. Yeah, the yeah. And uh, it will go through this little thing, and it will, and it will go, oh, it's, it's spinning down. It's mate, 10 kilometers away, is always going to be spinning up. So they are linked together, right? And this, this, you can do this over great. Now, this gets even really, this gets really whack is because you can, you can measure one at like um, really, really far away, Whoa. right? And let's just say you measure a particular thing about it, um, and its its mate is always going to respond at this, in the in the same moment, e- even if they split far apart, you know. And the other originally thing, whole. They originally whole, yeah, dude. Now the other thing as well is there's a, there's an interaction through time as well. So you can send it a hundred kilometers away, uh-huh. 
and it's it's let's say it's gonna one of the things they do is they do this quantum experiment where the particle is going to be a wave or or a particle, you know, so energy or a particle, and if if you don't measure it, it'll always act like a wave, okay. If you measure it somehow, it will act like a particle. Yeah, uh-huh. you can. So if you never measure it, it's going to shoot out the other end and it's going to behave like a wave of energy. So this is hard to conceptualize in your head, but it, you know, this, you can look this up. You know. Oh, it's juicy. So Bell's theorem, dude, gets into this idea that well, once they started testing this, is that these particles are linked through time and space. That means they're communicating each, with each other. Um, in a way that means that time and space are not an issue. So let's just say this particle's traveling at the speed of light and it's going to hit a, a, um, a measuring device mm-hmm. in 100 kilometers. So it's going to take a little while to get there, speed of light. But then the other particle it's joined to goes through a, a, um, a test where it's going to become a, a wave or a particle straight away. Yeah. It's mate. If its mate gets measured in 100 kilometers, that information of the measurement is going to travel back in time and make its mate behave like a particle because it only becomes a particle if it's measured. But it ha- its mate hasn't been measured yet, so the fact that it's going to be measured in the future travels back in time and makes its mate behave like a particle. Whoa. That means you have a non-linear dynamic. That means that these particles are entangled through time and space, yeah. distance and time. So this is interesting because you can look at a movie like Interstellar uh-huh. where... The, the father is communicating with his daughter through time and space. Man, he's on the other side of a black hole, man. And, he's <laughs> yeah? and yeah. she's in a different time and space. He's far away, but he's also experiencing um, accelerating time, you know, because he's the same age or something like that, but she's gotten older, you know. Yep. So, yep. But he's able to communicate with her. And he's able to communicate with her when she's a little girl, too. So that's a way that these cool movies, uh, last time we talked about um, Arrival, yeah, where it's sure. talking about nonlinear dynamics too, but that's a way that these actual discoveries in quantum physics are, are, are being shown to us in these movies, these you know, which, which is cool. But what's funny is these are fantasy movies, mm-hmm. really, they're sci-fi movies, which actually pushes the agenda that these are magical um, things that aren't real. Well, that's what I was yeah, saying before about the Notre Dame's thing, you know, it's like when technology is... Right. So, so Bell, Bell's theorem is really far out because it, it gained a lot of traction, particularly um, in San Francisco, which was where a lot of the um, in the United States in the sixties and seventies there was a huge amount of funding for physicists when it came to come to came to our weapons research and um, all kinds of different styles of research to to combat the Russians, yeah, uh-huh. including um, the sort of research into ESP and remote viewing. That means to actually have psychic spies spying on the Russians to see what they're doing. And they, they actually had a lot of success with this uh, because these, these programs now have been, um, they're not top secret anymore, the information's been released. And if you're interested in that, look at, say, um, The Reality of ESP by Dr. Russell Targ, who was one of the pilots and creators of the first remote viewing program at Stanford Research Institute in the early 70s. Yeah. Um, so they were literally spying on Russian um, technology and having really clear, they would get a dude and go, hey, draw what's happening at this place. And... Then they would take a satellite photo, and this guy is drawing what's actually happening. <laughs> bizarre, amazing. Well, it's, it's not bizarre. This is normal human ability. Yeah. And the, the, some of the best remote you people who are just naive, kind of regular people, they just pull out of the office next door. Wow. So, Bell's, Bell's theorem is cool because at Stanford Research Institute, uh, a lot of these physicists were there, and their funding was starting to fall in the seventies and eighties, and they started a um, a group called the um, 
the, the fundamental physics group, I think that's what they're called. And this was also around the time of the psychedelic revolution in the United States. So a lot of the top minds in physics were also starting to dabble in things like mescaline and mushrooms and LSD and stuff like that. Yeah. And opening up the uh, um, mysticism. So mystics were coming from, you know, um, you know, the East and from India, and this idea of mysticism was growing. And these people got really involved with the, um, the spiritual um, reality, reality of Bell's theorem. By this point, Bell's theorem was starting to get verified with these sorts of quantum experiments that I just mentioned with fiber optic cables and stuff like that, photos of light. Now, so they started running conferences at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California, where they have international speakers and stuff like that. And they would also sit around naked in the hot pools and, and, and take strong liquid acid and discuss these ideas. The interesting thing about um, LSD at the time was that it would open up your perception more and that they were realizing um, that, man, what the discoveries in physics had massive, massive um, spiritual implications when it comes to how actually all one and how when you think a thought because the people in remote viewing, like, how does a person able to send their, their consciousness to another part of the world and actually see accurate information? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Bell's theorem starts to help explain this, where um, we're able to like put our consciousness into a target and see what's going on, or put a um, link with another person, whether it be a dog or a girlfriend or a mum, and have premonitions or information and stuff like that, and just. This is also backed up by Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, who works in the morphogenic field, you know, yeah. where, you know, um, you know, you know, your girlfriend's about to call you, and then she calls, you know, this sort of thing where mm -hmm. there's a information exchanged, you know, and it also gets. This is also the the theorem which backs up what we talked about last time about retrocausality, yeah. where information is traveling back and forward through time. So there's a really cool book if you want to hear more about that called the um, the Hippies Who Save Physics, um, mm -hmm. by a guy David Kayser. And he's, he's really studied that this movement in physics, where a lot of the, the top physicists at the time, the guys who wrote books like The Dancing Wooly Masters or The Tao of, Tao of Physics, where a lot of these guys wrote spiritual books about, the, about physics, you know, to bring, to bring the findings in quantum physics to the mainstream. And literally empowered people as, as, um, as, as super beings, really. You, a lot of people read this sort of science and realize that they are quite, we're all very psychic, and that our senses, our ESP is, is quite natural, and that we, um, there's a lot more to being in a human body than we realize. You know? This is happening also in nature as well. Like animals and plants are actually displaying a lot of amazing uh, abilities in quantum physics too. So this is bringing up um, a lot of things, um, but the one thing that yeah. is sort of the hardest, the hardest to, um, the hardest to, to neglect is the idea of um, when you start when you initially explain the um, the experiment where one thing turns into two they're spinning they're connected I really enjoyed there's a whole other conversation to be had around um, observation and how that locks energy into becoming particular um, but then the idea that um, that they're having this dance these two because they're originally one and whole um, and then you sort of touched on it but this idea that perhaps everything came from this one hole before there was this big bang or you know this is speculation mm -hmm. now um and then the yeah. quote that sort of came to mind was um i can't remember who said it but i'll put it in the show notes was if something is available to the human experience it is certainly available to me 
Um, I mm. think it was uh, the guy that did the masterminds. How to Think and Grow Rich, actually. I think that's the mm. book it came from. Because he yeah. used to do these, hold these masterminds in his head with some of the world's most leading thinkers. It's like me sitting down and in my head having Alan Watts, um, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, having all these amazing people collated together in a boardroom meeting in my head and me sitting down and firing off a question to him and getting an answer. This is what he would do, but for a financial gain. This is how he was yep. um, tuning into it. And he mentioned this, that if, and the quote that came out of it was, if it's available to the human experience, so if Richard Branson can be a billionaire, let's take that as an mm -hmm. example, it's available mm -hmm. to me. So that information mm -hmm. is available to me. And yep. that sort of came sort of to light for me, as you were describing this, is that perhaps we're like quantum entanglement, sure, there, it's stronger amongst some people um, because of love and the emotional bonds that we form. Um, but then we're probably connected to just about everything, are we not? Yeah. All right. So let's just say we're all entangled. Uh huh. Now, if that was happening and you were sensitive to it, there'd be too much noise. So there'd be too much going on, you'd be hearing all these different people's thoughts and stuff like that. Like um like Xavier in in, in X Men, you know, when he goes into his cerebro machine and he can hear all the different people thinking and talking and everything like that. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, it's a bit much, you know, yeah, sometimes. Stay medicated to turn yeah. it off, yeah. That's, that's right. So he's gotta he's gotta numb himself to, 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 to come back to himself. Otherwise you just get lost in the, the, the field. Mm hmm So what people realize is that they can tune themselves into particular information. So the great American prophet, Edgar Cayce, who was around up until about the end of World War II doing readings, he would go as a trance medium who would seem to just basically go, go into a trance and would seem to almost access Google and answer questions about people and medical data, stuff like that. Very accurate dude. And the way he described it was like, this, like a, a field of information. And he coined a term called the Akashic field. Uh -huh. So... Like this quote you're just talking about, how all collective human experience is available to you. Yeah, it's, it's spot on. It's spot on. But you've got to tune into what you want to know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's too much noise. Right. Yeah. You can only learn so much at once. And some people have an experience in their third eye or in their pineal gland where it's almost just white light coming through. It's too much information. You know, some people call it the white hole. It's just like, you're going to blow and wide open. And this can happen with meditation, alter states of consciousness, stuff like that. It's too much information. Uh -huh. So now there is a physiological mechanism in the body for tuning into what you want to know. And this is when things get really far up. So let's just say you want to tune into a particular mathematician who was alive in Greece. When was that going on? Maybe two and a half thousand years ago, something like that, three thousand years ago. And if we look at Bell's theorem, we can see that you know we can experience things through time and space. Well, how do I tune into this particular dude? Let's say I want to I want to sync with Pythagoras mm -hmm. and learn learn about what was going on for him. We know that Pythagoras would make his students fast, for example, for forty days to purify their mind, body, and spirit, so they could actually become good students. You know, these guys were pretty switched on. They knew some things. They also had amazing mystery schools and darkness retreats and stuff like that where you go sit in the dark and help um, activate the third eye and the pineal gland to have um, these sorts of information come into the body. Access, yeah. Access. Now, so we'll have to look at how the pineal gland works. Okay. So there's a thing called piezoelectricity, which means that a crystal 
can receive a, a vibration, an etheric vibration, a frequency, like a radio frequency. You know, a radio frequency is an etheric vibration. Now, inside a radio trans transceiver, there's a crystal. And that crystal can pick up on, if the crystal is tuned to, let's say, 99.9 um, FM here in Byron Bay, yep. you, can tune, you can tune that crystal so it's going to, you've got static and you, hey, good morning, you know, it's 99.9, you know. So you've tuned the crystal until it's syncing. Your radio transceiver is syncing with your radio transmitter. Mm -hmm. It's synced. So that crystal is then going to produce an electric charge automatically based on the um, the frequency of the radio. The radio waves come down to the crystal and then it produces an electronic charge, which is then picked up by the radio. It's boosted by a battery and then sent through the speaker. Mm -hmm. So you can hear what someone's saying. <clears throat> this is just how radio transmitters, radio transceivers, and microphones function. Mm -hmm. Piezoelectricity. It's called the piezoelectric effect. Yep. Inside a fluid in your, in your pineal gland, there are piezoelectric crystals that are listening in to, to fields of um, information that are out there, a lot of them, right? Yeah. And there's also a thing called piezoluminescent crystals, and this is very special, where this is a crystal that produces light when it picks up on a vibration. Yeah. So they can actually reproduce these crystals in, in, in a vast quantity in a laboratory. One of them is dimethyltryptamine, which is a, a lot of places in nature um, and uh, all types of animals, but it, it's produced mostly in the lungs and the human body, and it, it's, it's found in the highest concentrations in the pineal gland. Now, the interesting thing is, like, if you get a, a make a, you know, like on Breaking Bad, you make a whole tray of this crystal, you know, and I think it's quite clear, but if you hit it with a hammer, it produces, like, a rainbow-like effect. That means that the, the energy of the wave that happens when you hit it with a hammer produces rainbows. Uh -huh. So... This, this crystal in your pineal gland produces light when it picks up on a particular field of information. Now, the inside of your pineal gland, the inside wall, has got a thing called rod and cone cells. And this is the same types of cells that are in your retina. And then these rod and cone cells are linked to nerves that go to your visual cortex in the back of your head, just like your eyes. That's why sometimes we see something before it happens, or we have a vision inside our, our third eye, inside our head somewhere, you know. Uh -huh. We have a vision. This means that the crystals in the pineal gland, um, some people can't have these visions because the pineal gland is so calcified from um, bad attitude, bad diet, bad water, that sort of thing, refined foods. Um, and this means that we can have, the, the crystals in our pineal gland can produce sensations, thoughts, information, visions, based on what is coming through etherically. So let's say you want to tune in with Pythagoras and you start to really focus on the guy. You know, you yep. focus in on the dude. And you, what's amazing about the human heart is it has it's this, this, this love and this connection with, with other people in the world is that the heart, the heart is like the, uh, is like the, um, the thing which will tune in and fix on this person through time and space. Mm -hmm. The heart is how we find them. The heart is the secret to finding out the radio station. Okay, and then the the crystals get tuned <laughs> until we open up the open up the frequency. Hey, good morning, Pythagoras. How's it going? What's the latest mathematical formula for the day? You know, what are you eating today? You know, this sort of thing. So you open up the the channel. Now through Bell's, Bell's theorem and everything like that, we know that we can um, exchange data through time and space. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned before is we're all actually entangled anyway. 
Okay, yeah. but if we if we were exchanging all this data with everyone all the time, there'd be too much noise, and you'd be like, you know, a case like Xavier. What's his surname? Xavier. Oh my, out of um, X Men. He's got a cool name. To me, everyone that starts with Xavier ends in Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it? Yeah. Well, Xavier is a surname. Anyway, cool. X Men. Anyway, yeah. So what can happen is you can open up a frequency with um with with Pythagoras and start to experience his wisdom. Mm-hmm. And he will start to experience you. Maybe you are the mathematician and you are training him back through time retroactively. I don't know. The thing is, is this is the ultimate mysticism where we're actually tuning into people, information and data and sharing our, our human uh, discoveries through time and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the piezoelectric effect, the piezoluminescent effect, where the crystals in our body are able to sync and entangle with the target through time and space. Yeah, it's super cool. So, I mean, one of the amazing things that they found in quantum physics is compassionate distance. The easiest way to sync with someone is when you're in love with them. Like, you're really connected, you know, you make a lot of love, and, like, you're, you're a lover and stuff like that. And then you can put that person on the other side of the planet and really actually start to communicate with them. Like, uh, send them, you know, particular ideas or thoughts and... The greatest level of ESP and um, like psychic kind of transfer of information is is what they call passionate distance. It's easiest for people who are in love, but it's instant. Yeah, it's instant. Right. And the thing is with this is, is NASA really likes this idea because then you get people who are in love and you can put one on Mars and one on Earth. And the easiest way to have instant communication is like, hey, we're in trouble. Is in like asteroid shower, you know, and we're like going to go underground, you know, it didn't help. Yeah. The easiest way to get that transmission is not through radio waves where it's going to take however it is six minutes to reach Earth. Yeah, bound it's to time instant. and space. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah, so radio frequencies uh, travel slower than passionate distance. So it's instant communication. That's the thing. It's instant through time and space. It's, it's super lovely, you know. So, yeah, dude, passion at a distance. It's super nice. And they verified this more, you know, because they get like a like a EEG or like a lie detector, electroencephalograph, that sort of thing, where you can actually really read the electricity on someone's body, their pulse and blood pressure and all that sort of stuff and check out how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And then you can get their, their their mom or their twin or their friend or someone they've only meditated with for an hour who they just met, and then you separate them by a 1,000 kilometers. And then the other person, if the other person feels stress or anxiety, the person who's on the EEG machine, We'll pick it up at the same time. So that person go out around the world and log their day. You know, I felt really good, I felt really bad, I felt really stressed. And they can log their day exactly when these things happen. The person who's in the EEG who's synced to them back back in the lab is <coughs> experiencing the same things at the same time because they are entangled. And purpose they wanted they wanted to entangle. They did it, you know. Wow. So the cool thing about entanglement is it's free will and choice. You can also just you can disconnect. You know, and this is one of the things I help people. You know, with with clients, you get people who they they're having problems because they they've gone through a breakup, and then, you know, oh, you know, my girlfriend, she's with this new guy, and I just feel I feel really stressed out, and at night, and like like maybe she's in this new sexual relationship, and it's just it's almost like you feel like you know when they're making love, and it just makes you feel bad because you're feeling jealous or you're feeling um, let down as you're still in love with them. Mm-hmm. You can actually do a thing like an astral ABO where you can actually sever that, the, the connection, where you can actually see the connection, like, 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 like that fiber optic cable, you know, where the, the entangled particles are communicating, whatever you want to do, you can just go, no, I've had enough. 
and cut them off. And they might call you and go, oh, you know, I really want to see you again. I just feel like you're not in my life anymore. They might call you. You can do that meditation and cut them off, cut that astral cord, cut the exchange. Yeah. And they're going to, because you're sending them light, they're going to feel the cut off. Yeah. And they're going to want you back because they are, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're still being charging them up by giving them attention. And that's the idea of photonic energy is when you give people attention, you're actually sending them light. Mm-hmm. And the more light you send someone, the better they feel. Yeah, far up. Yeah, right. I um, oh, which one do I pick on? Um, I do want to talk about morphogenic fields, but the I guess when you were talking about the quantum, what's this idea around quantum encryption then? Mm. Because that's kind of out there then, isn't it? Because it's like encryption is all about coding stuff down and protection comes to mind when you think about encryption but then you talk about the quantum field and quantum encryption and it's something that seems really far out there but it's something that's currently being Mm. undertaken yeah it's uh it's happening all around us now like when it first came out it was kind of the thing for exchanging large quantities of money and stuff like that so let's say i'm a quantum encryption dude Mm -hmm. and quantum encryption is a real straight person kind of science way of dealing with Bell's theorem in a, in a, in a really um, practical, physical way. So I'm going to produce um, some entangled photons, uh-huh. right? And I'm going to give half them to you, and I'm going to keep the other half, right? And you're over in, like, you know, you're over in, in Zurich, you know, and I want to send you some information, some, some banking coding or something like that to, to, to wire you some money. So I'm going to send you a special code and block it into my computer at this side, and that code's going to come up at your end exactly. No one else can see the code except you because you're the only other person with entangled particles, right? Now, if someone does break into the quantum connection and watch what we're doing, we can also see that we're being detected too because the observation of anyone is going to create a, um, an, electronic, an electronic anomaly where you can be detected. So quantum encryption is the idea. It's the most advanced kind of encryption because it can't be watched in on you know often quantum encryption is is is, i don't know if it has to be through fiber optics or not you know i'm not i'm not like a hardcore physicist or anything like that but quantum encryption allows for extreme sense extremely sensitive data to be exchanged between two parties using bell's theorem yeah so what's happened now a field (laughs) it's like a field yeah yeah dude the latest finding in this is where they're using Bell's theorem and quantum encryption um, using lasers as opposed to fiber optics. Okay, so uh, what the, the Chinese did is they put the satellite up and they realized that they could exchange quantum data between entangled particles through a laser beam over a thousand kilometers between a um, space um, a satellite and a, um, a station in Tibet on the ground using a laser beam to exchange this information. And the, the idea with this sort of technology when it comes to um, shooting laser beams around the planet with satellites is to produce a completely secure etherical internet. Completely secure etherical internet. At the moment, our internet is not really etherical. It's, it's through fiber optics. Yeah. yeah. Which means that it can be, um, like I said, you, someone can watch in on quantum encryption and influence it, you know? So... Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing technology. So this 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 dude hardly got noticed in 1964 with his theorem. Not only has it been verified experimentally, um, but it's also being used on a massive level in computer science and global communication. 
So the ultimate really is off-world communication, and they, they still haven't really nailed how this works. And they, they know that what's, what's far out is they can... Yeah, so the, the, the quantum encryption is going between these the fiber optic cables, but it's also now going down lasers. So what is the difference between that and passionate distance? There is no laser beam or fiber optic cable. If you are hanging out on, like, Jupiter, and your lover is hanging out, you know, and, you know, in Houston, Texas, and you are sending her data, and they're like, oh, yeah, this weather in Jupiter today, like he said, it's, you know, it's pretty iry, and, you know, oh, yeah, he's having a margarita, I can actually taste it, too, you know, we're, like, we're entangled, man. It's like, good, he's used some fresh lines and stuff like that, he's hanging out on Jupiter. Passion at a distance, you just communicate. There's no fiber optic cable, there's no laser. So what this idea here is there's actually like a um, what's 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 entangling you? It's the heart, yeah? It's the field between your two hearts that are synced. Mm. You know? So whether it's with the pineal gland or the heart or it's the two working in unison, it's the crystals that are synced or whatever it is, it's the idea that, well, is there because when we think about a laser beam or a fiber optic cable taking the particles, you know, and they're going like this, we're still thinking about actual um, distance covered. And the reality is the distance isn't there. Okay, so we need to, the idea of quantum mechanics is the distance not isn't there. If you're thinking about distance as being actually there, you're still you're still stuck in a bit of classical mechanics. Yeah. So there's this idea of non-locality. The idea of locality is that that it's all the way out there. You know, the other idea of locality is Jupiter is all the way out there. If I'm not looking, it's still there. Yeah. You know, the other thing with like this whole biocentrism and stuff like that, consciousness creating reality, is that if we're not looking, if no one's looking at Jupiter, it's not a physical mass anymore. It's an energetic probability until it's observed. Yes, I was hoping we'd get here. Let's talk yeah, about probabilities. Yeah, it's like the idea of talking, like, everyone thinks that locality is normal. <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but, you know, if the tree falls down in the forest, does it make a sound? No. The tree falls down and it just makes pockets of air pulse through the forest. Mm-hmm. There's just pulses of air. If those pulses of air hit an ear, like an eardrum, okay, those pulses of air are translated through the systems in our ear to nerves to create the impression of sound inside our head. There's no, there's no sound out in the forest, okay? Yeah. The idea of locality is, oh, yeah, if no one's around, the tree's going to go smash, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Physics must reach biology for the biology to compute it into sound. That's right. And then the, the deeper I level with that is if, if no one's watching. Does the universe exist? Yeah, yeah like <laughs> the tree coming over is an energetic field of probability. Energy, it's not even a physical tree. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty deep and pretty confusing. That was my um, first ever yeah. introduction into, uh, into quantum physics at uni was if... If you're not observing, does it exist? And it was yeah. this whole new, and that was the existential question that came to me. Is like if we all shut our eyes, shut our sound, like turned off all our senses, everybody yeah. in unison for one moment, mm-hmm. does that mean the universe actually in that moment is gone? Very well, intriguing. <laughs> you are the container for the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no container, no content. That means that the entire universe is expressing itself through you at every single moment. So you are the universe. Did we talk about rainbows last time? No. Okay. So imagine yourself standing in a field of flowers surrounded by puppies and you're watching a rainbow, mm-hmm. right? Delete you. Is the rainbow still there? Uh-uh. 
The rainbow is an anomaly between water and the atmosphere, light, and your eyes, or surrogate eyes like a camera. Okay. So imagine watching yourself, watching the rainbow. Mm-hmm. If you delete yourself and you just become the watcher watching you, the rainbow disappears. Because the rainbow is a part, it's, it's, a, it's an anomaly in the eyes. It's not a physical phenomenon. Right. Okay. So, but then how do, say, all, how do all the people see the rainbow? How do all people see the rainbow together? Here's the problem: it's terminology. The rainbow. Now, let's just say you and I work in a really pumping cafe in Byron Bay, uh-huh. and we're driving to work, and there's a there's a rainbow experience that is had by both of us. I'm driving to work on the same road as you, and I'm looking at this rainbow, and I'm just going, "That's that rainbow." And you're driving to work, you know, maybe you're a few cars behind me and you're looking at this rainbow going, wow, look at that rainbow. And then we get to work and you look at me and go, dude, did you see the rainbow? And I say, uh-uh. And you're like, what do you mean? It was right there. How could you miss it? It was like fat rainbow. It's like double rainbow, man. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, 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 I saw my rainbow. You're like, what? What about the, ra- no, the rainbow? We saw the same, it was the same rainbow, man. Like we just came together as different cars. No, no, I saw my rainbow. You saw your rainbow uh-huh. because the rainbow is happening inside your eyes and my eyes in a different orientation. Now, easy way to look at it. We're standing next to each other in the field looking at the rainbows. Rainbows. Uh-huh. For you, it's a rainbow. For me, it's a rainbow. But because we're standing next to each other, we're both looking at different rainbows yeah. because the water particles in the atmosphere orientated to your position are different the to my position. that are traveling back to your eye, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, the water particles that are red, to you might be yellow. Uh-huh. Because our orient- it's all about the orientation of the observer to the angle of the sunlight to the water. That's why when you're driving along in a car, the rainbow moves with the car. Uh, you don't drive past it. Yeah, ever. Yeah. That's why you can't, that's the whole thing, is you want to get the pot of gold that's underlying the rainbow, you can't get to it. <laughs> it's like the cosmic Irish joke, man, you can't get to it. Even if you drive 300 k's an hour, it's, you know? So the pot of gold is like this, this is the great mystery. Because you are the rainbow. You've already got the pot of gold, it's in your back pocket. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Great metaphor. Yeah. So, yeah. Super, yeah superposition. Um, I want to come back to that because I, as I've, as I was tuning into this, it seems to be something that we're getting more and more awareness of. Um, and like the model of the atom used to be that we've got all these rings and the, the electrons are either, they're holding each other statically in place due to repulsion mm. and attraction and they're in that place. And I picked up a textbook recently just looking at high school physics and the, mo- the, the model of the atom had changed. And I was like, what the fuck? Like everything I learnt has completely changed and now Mm. the electrons just have the probability of perhaps being there's like a a possibility that it's in this field you might find the electron somewhere because it's it's anywhere until you observe it it gets locked in to attraction and repulsion until you don't it's literally just there's there's a possibility that it's there Um, and that comes back to the quantum field and I'm not sure how this is anchoring in as something useful for the listeners, but it's super intriguing to me um, in that things are, whether they're actually there or whether they're just, like there is a a likelihood of it actually being there. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about something bigger. Okay, there's a thing called a buckyball, which is a um, a ball made of carbon atoms, mm-hmm. and this is it's a it's a larger quantum object, which is it's not just an electron, it's like a so it's a fucking ball, man. Yep. And it's it can be shown to have the same effect where if that ball is not observed, it will behave like a wave of energy. It's a ball of atoms. Now this means that you can do quantum experiments with it, where it will behave like energy. Okay. Um, it's, if, you want, if you want to understand these experiments deeper, it's better to watch something like what the bleep do we know, where they actually are talking about using buckyballs, and then you have to buckminster pull up the geometry cat. Now, so if it's not observed or not measured, the the the, the ball of atoms will behave like energy. As soon as it is measured, it will become a ball again, and will you can measure a certain effect, whether it's spinning, where it goes, what it's hit, where it's been. Yeah. So. What's far out about that is it starts to mess with this idea of like uh, locality and observation in consciousness. This means that um, we make physical reality take place through a collective dreaming of observation. Uh-huh. Um, so the idea, like when you're going to open the fridge, we're pretty sure we know what's in the fridge. But before you open the fridge, what is taking place in that fridge because it is unobserved? And this is shown with all quantum experimentation over and over and over and over again. What is happening inside the fridge is not physical reality until you look at it. What is happening inside the fridge is a lot of particles that are in a superposition. And that, that superposition means they're not particles. They're behaving like energetic waves. waves. And this is how they've seen that particles beha- can behave as a particle uh-huh. or a wave of energy. Now when, it, now, when the wave of energy becomes observed, they have a thing called a wave function collapse, where that wave will collapse into a physical manifestation that we can experience through our senses as, like, physical reality. Mm-hmm. In this sense, that is that our observation of energy is creating physical reality, and that without conscious observation, physical reality is energetic, uh, without conscious observation, there's, there's nothing happening. So the idea, of, back in time, of a planet Earth that was like a lump of molten rock floating around with no life on it, it doesn't exist because a, a pre-life Earth is just a probability of energy. That's really trippy for like mainstream um, kind of idea of geology, idea of the Big Bang, the idea of human evolution, everything like that. Now, there's some pretty smart dudes out there. That that, that guy, Rudolf Steiner, dude, like he um he talked about. He was like a full full power mystic. He started to bring this sort of mysticism into like uh, the way he designed schools and teaching children and teaching people. Yep. He has this idea that the human consciousness came here first. And our consciousness created the earth, uh-huh. created the animal kingdom, created the plant kingdom, everything like this. This, is, this, is, this sounds quite elitist, you know, human consciousness came, we created everything, you know. Yep. It's, it's a bit elitist, but this idea is that consciousness came first. Biocentrism, yeah. Biocentrism, consciousness comes before physical reality. Yep. Now, the thing with what Real Steiner said is that human consciousness came to the earth first and was the last thing to take physical form. The last thing to take physical form. Now, let's just say we all believe in the Big Bang. When we think about the Big Bang back in time, our conscious observation through time, our consciousness is non-local. That means that we can observe and think about things before they happen, after they've happened, everything like that. Our conscious observation of the idea of the Big Bang actually happening 
created in the, in the past. So when we think about a pre-life Earth being here before us, uh-huh. that's our human consciousness actually creating a pre-life Earth retroactively. So the pre-life Earth can exist, but it's our conscious observation from the present moment of the pre-life Earth that is actually making it exist. Sending so the idea, the idea of our conscious photonic energy or human observation can actually create the past. So we can design the Earth that we want for now retroactively to create it for the present. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's deep. Yes. Now, what's far out is this can be verified through different types of mystical research. You know, you have a book called Soul Journey by Dr. Uh, Michael Newton out of Sacramento, California. He's not with us anymore, but he was a mainstream hypnotherapist who stumbled across the phenomenon of taking people into past lives, but also finding out what happened to them when they die in a past life and where they go before they come into another human body. Uh-huh. And one of the very, he, he did this from a pure, pure, purely like clinical view. He didn't know anything about what he was researching. But he would just interview and record people uh-huh. about what happened in between lives. And they actually started to, through this clinical research and in, interviewing hundreds of people, draw a picture of what these people were saying about what was happening in between lives. And one of the things they would do in between lives was learn how to make physical matter, learn how to make microorganisms learn how to make the most basic sort of um, plant and animal organisms using the ability of human creative energy or human conscious creative energy. So it's the idea that human consciousness as a form of light is uh, uh, this idea that actually our consciousness is, is light that is experiencing being inside a human body, but our body is not creating consciousness. Our body is more like a, um, a television set with an antenna on it that is um, capturing consciousness and producing uh, like a... Well, maybe a TV is not the right idea, but this idea is that you don't look inside the TV to find the television presenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Got it. Bruce Lipton talks about the idea that we're like a Mars rover, you know, and we're we're capturing the signal from Earth, and we're like be able to like experience Mars, mm-hmm. everything like that. So this idea that we're capturing the conscious, uh, our, our physical body can capture the our, our consciousness, consciousness from the source, whatever that means. Yeah. We can experience this body, and the idea is when this body dies, it's our consciousness doesn't end. And I, I personally had a very powerful needed experience or an NDE where I experienced being light again. I was out and across the universe and I was light. And all the emotions of worrying about death or any of these sorts of anxieties or fears that, that are actually from the human body, those sorts of emotions, they're all gone. And you just feel awesome because you're a part of everything. Uh-huh. And you experience nonlinear time, nonlinear space. And it's like, Whenever you want to go back into a human body, it's it's, gro- it's groovy, it's all good. And this is what most people experience once they die, is like everything's fine, everything is okay. And people can experience this through um, different types of meditations or altered states of consciousness to experience being a part of the entirety of everything through time and space. And it's a very blissful experience. So coming back to the human body from the NDE is often like, whoa, that's what's going on. And that means that they lose the... Um, this deep fundamental anxiety around death is, is um, such a waste of time because it's not like that at all when we die. Yeah, so we're a part of it all, dude. So our, our consciousness is, is, is captured by the body, traverses the body, but it's not generated by the body. And there are all uh, different types of consciousness. There's consciousness in our gut, there's consciousness in our heart, there's consciousness in our head. You know, there's different levels of um, 
you know, people have these words like spirit and soul and all these sorts of things, but there's, there's multiple facets of consciousness in, in the system that produce our awareness. And the reality is, is that a lot of our consciousness is actually coming from our heart, not our head. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a massive um, movement by a company that does amazing work called HeartMath, um, which verifies and experiments with a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff that you're sharing about the heart being this receiver and um, that if anyone's curious, heart math great place to check out a lot of um yeah a lot of scientists doing a lot of research in this area. Um, so I think as I want to ground some of this in now, it's like okay, so all this idea of consciousness and you know, the probability of perhaps things being real, how does that facilitate, like, awareness of all this, um, how does awareness of all of this translate to my personal healing and empowerment? Like, knowing Mm. that this is all, you know, I'm, some part of the biocentrism is definitely, I can see there's profound effects of healing for that for me, like, the awareness that you know, where, what I'm tuning into is what's creating me. So, you know, and then if there is something that I am looking to heal within me, if there's a healed aspect of it somewhere out there, I can draw that in and I can definitely tune into that and heal parts of myself. Um, but obviously your work is that of a healer and holding this amazing awareness of all these deep, 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 insightful um, themes, uh, whatever you want to call them, nuggets of wisdom. Um how does that influence individual healing and how mm. does that play a role in all of that? Yeah. Well, man, what happens is a lot of people start to get obsessed with physical reality. Okay. And they, they try and find meaning through material. Again, we like talked about classical mechanics and obsession with the only thing that is real is what we can physically experience. And the more uh, open you get, the more sensitive you get, the more you can realize that you can tune into fields of information, tune into people through time and through space. And, you can start to simplify your life. Sometimes people are feeling a bit empty and they try to find meaning in their life by possessing material goods, possessing more cars, possessing more whatever it is, man, clothes, shoes, stuff like this. Um, it's, it's really quite thorough. People try to find meaning through material. And often as you start to tune into these kind of ethereal, ethereal experiences where you can start to feel connected with everything, um, sometimes the most happy someone can be is, you know, you get a small backpack and you go backpacking, you go traveling sometimes, you know, people in their teens or early 20s, and they go out and find themselves, and they, they can come to some of the most blissful times of their life, sometimes people find, where before you get a house and a mortgage and a Porsche and a puppy and a, a wife, and, you know, or a husband or like, you know, nine children, everything's simple. You might have a very small backpack, you know, so I had a friend who, he, he ran away from home when he was 17 from, um, um, East Canada and, and went to Tibet and walked. Like, he just had a blanket and a little bag in Tibet and just people looked after him and he had his experiences. And wow. just to, to see that coming back to simplicity and spaciousness in your life can be one of the most blissful things that's available to us. And to also see that this is available all the time. And that sometimes when you're just sitting on the earth eating a piece of fruit in the sun with your toes in the ocean, this can be the most ultimate formula for bliss because we can see that, that the, the human body, the human experience is, is this amazing uh, conduit between the sun and the, the astral realms or the stars and the planets and the earth. 
these things come through us in both directions, and we experience them both. And to see that um, the idea of becoming obsessed with material goods is very redundant and is also um, indoctrinated by a lot of different cultural ideas that make us think we need certain things to be happier. And, you know, if you want to get more into that, the way we've been trained in this way, there's a good book um, called The Hacking of the American Mind, which shows us that we are sold pleasure mm-hmm. and we're told that it's happiness, but it's actually just pleasure. That means that when we, you know, we buy that fifth pair of shoes or that, that, that latest Holden, you know, or this, this thing, we, we, this, this, you get this new app, you get this new phone. These things actually give us pleasure. They, they give us pleasure. They make us release dopamine. We're supposed to, yeah. Well, some people, they, they have a lot of pleasure. You know, the idea of getting that ice cream is really good, produces a lot of pleasure, but then you finish eating the ice cream, the pleasure's gone, right? And this means that you're releasing more and more dopamine into the system, which again, like we talked about last time, dopamine degenerates your ability to release the neurotransmitter serotonin. So the more pleasure you experience on a hedonistic level, you are down-regulating your ability to feel happy in general. So we are sold pleasure under the, the name of happiness, but it's not actually happiness. Mm-hmm. So now when we talk about material reality, um, we start to think that everything that happened to us definitely happened. Everything that happened to mum and dad definitely happened to them. Oh, you know, you can be like, oh, yeah, my mum and dad had a hard time living in a prisoner of war camp in Singapore in World War II under the rule of the Japanese, and they had a hard time with starvation and getting beaten. And because of that, you know, I'm paranoid around food, and I hoard food and stuff like that, and I'm going to blame the fact that my parents had an experience with the Japanese. Uh Or... I can see that what we know about biocentrism and quantum physics and everything like that, we can see that that past timeline is a quantum possibility. And if I believe that's what really took place, it's, it's, no, it's no right or wrong. But if I've seen a lot of my quantum ideas back in time and I see my parents in that prisoner of war camp, then it's real. Uh-huh. And it will affect me as much as I like. Or we can let go. Now, the architecture of letting go is quite far out for a lot of people because I might be attached to the fact that I have all these issues because of what happened to my parents, and I don't want to change because changing might be difficult, but I'm comfortable with the fact that I have these, you know, alcohol addiction and, like, a, a materialistic hoarding addiction and a food addiction, and so the idea of actually becoming me when the future and past don't exist is very scary and unknown, and I don't know who I would be if I didn't have these issues to attach myself to in the past. Yeah, people are like, oh, you know, I was premature. I was premature 10 weeks, and I was put in an incubator, and it wasn't touched. When a baby isn't touched after birth, the brain doesn't grow. Yeah. Okay? They realize that when a baby is in an incubator to stay alive, it's premature. It needs to be touched and stroked, especially by its mother. And so the, 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 this connection, this human connection is taking place so that the brain continues to grow and produce the right connections for the right neurological connections for human connection and connection to everything else. So if I'm an adult and I can blame all my problems on the fact that I was in an incubator, that means that I'm sending my platonic projection back in time and saying that really definitely happened. However, I am the creator of my reality, the master of my universe, and I can change anything I want, and I have the ability to change my platonic projection. So you can move into more of a reality of like impeccable positivity where like 
My childhood was awesome. My parents, awesome. I'm on a beautiful planet. And right now in this present moment, everything <coughs> is great. That's all that's actually real. Once we're not observing the past, the past doesn't exist. When we're not observing the future, the future doesn't exist. There are some Aboriginal populations in Northern Australia that don't have a word for future because they know it's a redundant concept that doesn't... It, it's, there's no point talking about the future because it's going to send your photonic energy into reality that doesn't exist. That means that if we get fascinated with the past and future, this is the source of most anxiety. You are constantly regretting the past, and you're constantly worrying about the future. That means you're leaking your photonic conscious energy into realities that don't exist. But at the same time, when you leak energy, conscious energy into those realities, you can actually produce something that does technically exist and influence it back in time. So... Here's another quantum experiment, and we'll get, get real science on this if you want, right? So here's a quantum experiment which can help um, verify this for people who um, don't believe anything I'm saying. <laughs> All right, so let's get a thing. Let's get a little cluster of this is real, by the way. So you get some beryllium ions, okay? You get a little cluster of ions. And we're going to shoot a radio, like a, a, a radio frequency of those ions. And let's say those ions can be, have, they have an energetic, um, an energetic um, state. Let's say right now they're energetic level zero, like a temperature, let's say. And I'm going to shoot that laser beam at them for 10 seconds. After 10 seconds, they're going to reach level, level 100 of energy. That's how much energy they're taking, right? And let's just say it takes 10 seconds for them to reach level 100. They go from zero to 100. Now, this is interesting because we can, we can also observe how um, the, the temperature going up, let's say. Now, at, at, point, at, at time zero, we can take a measurement, they're like, they're level zero temperature. And then after 10 seconds, we'll shoot them with the laser, so shoot them with the, um, the radio frequency, and after 10 seconds, they're going to be at level, level 100 energy, right? Cool. No, nope, it's fine. You know, it's like putting a piece of toast in the toaster. After two minutes, the toast is cooked, right? So after 10 seconds, those beryllium ions are cooked. They're done, right? They're at the next energy level. Yep. Now, let's just say every half a second, Right. Um, every half a second, we're actually going to take a measurement, okay, of these of these things. So every half a second, that means that like um, every half a second, they're going to go up five energetic levels, five five degrees, let's say, up to hundred. Uh-huh. Each time we observe it, it's going up to five. We know it should be five because the whole time it's going to take to hundred. It's, it's going to go. It should be an even graph. Yeah. Each time we look, it drops back down to zero. So when we're not looking, the temperature goes up half a, half a second, and then we look at it, it goes back down to zero. Then we're not looking, it goes up, it goes up again, then we look at it, and it goes to zero. So if we're going to graph it, the graph will just be like, and at the end, it's still it's zero. It's not at 100. It's not at 100 because we were watching, right? Now that's far up. So let's just say you look at the, let's say you, you, you're actually taking the energy readings, but you're not looking at it as the experiment's going on. You're like, oh, I'm not going to look. If I'm not looking, is it going to heat up to 100 after 10 seconds? Just because you're taking the readings and you look at it in the future, it affects the experiment retroactively. That means that even if you look at the readings after the readings have been taken in the future, it's still going to be at point zero yeah. because the experiment still knows that you're going to look at it in the future because you're, you're looking at the data in the future goes back in time to fix the energy state of the beryllium ions. Now... Let's just say, hypothetically, when you were five, your puppy got run over, and you saw it happen, and it was bad. It was a bad thing, right? 
Now, we all know that when we have a traumatic experience, we tend to keep thinking about it and revisualizing it. Yeah. Okay. So for that next couple of weeks, you keep thinking about seeing your puppy get run over and you feel the same emotion. You feel the same anxiety, you feel the same stress, you feel the same grief, the same fear, all that sort of thing. It keeps coming up. And then, you know, you, maybe you develop a bit of a personality disorder around, around puppies and you never want one again because you become convinced that it will be run over. Uh-huh. And you spend the rest of your life constantly thinking about that puppy. And you're constantly sending photonic, photonic energy back to that reality and reinforcing its physical existence affecting you in present day. That means that you are, in the present moment, still trapped in the trauma of being five years old. Now, what we're approaching now is the idea of quantum medicine, regression therapy, letting go. What do you want to talk about? Man? But the idea of quantum medicine, as far as I like to think about it, is that the past, the past is an optional construct. Okay? That means that if you stop talking about it and stop thinking about it, and you stop going to, like, let's say every week you have to go to, like, a, um, um, a dog lost anxiety and paranoia anonymous group, and you sit there in the group every week and drink wine and talk about how much you miss your puppy from 30 years ago. And you just keep living the reality of that. And you associate with people who lost their dog too, and you just kind of keep re-perpetuating the past. Yeah, reinforcing the cycle. Yeah, or you let go. What does letting go really mean? I'm going to stop talking about it, I'm going to stop thinking about it, and I'm going to stop using that story to get myself attention. Stop using the story to give myself attention. This is very important because we're taught in our culture that drama and loss and all these sorts of things are cool because we watch all these movies and all these dramatic TV shows <laughs> and things go wrong. So we yeah. think that if things go wrong in our life, that makes us more interesting, just like the TV show. Okay? And this all applies to the, um, the archetypal concept. Archetypal means a pattern of behavior of the warrior's journey. This means that, you know, like, you know, when... When in Star Wars, when Luke when when Luke sees Obi Wan Kenobi gets killed by his father, you know, yeah. so it's a pretty bad moment. Everything's pretty bleak. Everything's got. And they get back to the Millennium Falcon and they're flying away. And they're like, man, it's a low moment. And everyone feels that, you know, it's a low moment. Obi Wan Kenobi got like chopped up, you know, and disappeared or something like that. And um, it's a low moment. And a lot of movies operate in this way where there's a low moment where all hope is lost. And this is an archetypal pattern where b- before you kind of um, have this re-emergence and the, 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 the warrior re-emerges, this, this archetypal journey, the warrior's journey where you have this triumph in the end and you usually vanquish like a, like a father figure where Luke defeats Darth Vader or, you know, an avatar, the blue avatar bloke defeats the, the bad army general, you know, at the end. You know, there's like that kind of father figure. There's this archetypal... In, in, in movie script, they call it structure. And if you're interested in understanding this energy, look at the synchronicity key by David Wilcock, where he actually goes into a lot of films and looks at it. We like these movies because of the structure, because it actually applies to an energetic archetype or pattern of behavior which exists in the universe and inside us. Yeah. So when we talk about you know, the worst day of my life is when my puppy got run over, people will actually like to sync with that because uh, they can apply this sort of tragedy to their own life. Yep. It's why we like drama. It's like we like movies that have all sorts of dodgy stuff go wrong. Mm. So, if all if, if if looking at this quantum very superposition, if we're not looking at the past, it's just energy. If we're not looking at the future, it's just energy. That means we don't have to worry about the past because we're not thinking about it. We don't have to or don't have to regret the past. We're not thinking about it. We don't have to worry about the future because it's it's we're not thinking about it. So all of our photonic energy is in the present moment. 
right? Whoa. If everything's in the present moment, we're really in the present moment. Consciously and subconsciously, we're all here. We can look at what's going on, and everything's good. We're sitting in the sun, and we're eating a mango, and we're like, I feel safe. I feel nourished. I'm connected with the earth. I'm connected with myself. I'm connected with whoever I'm with, whether I'm with someone or not. And even then, I know that time and space aren't real, so I'm just connected with everyone, which is pretty groovy. And I'm connected with this mango. I'm connected with the spirit of the tree. I'm connected with the sunlight in the mango. And, and life is amazing. How does it taste? Like, what a beautiful human existence. You know, I'm going to write some poetry and pick some flowers and run around. Thank you. you know, whatever, man. But what I mean is we're not worrying about the future. We're not paranoid about the past anymore because they're not real. Yeah, they're constructs. Now, the only things that hold those constructs in space, in, in, sorry, the only thing that holds those contra- constructs in place is our photonic energy mm-hmm. on them. Okay. So the more we become present, you know, all these different spiritual teachers talking about becoming present. Yeah, be here now. That's it. Because they know that putting our energy into things that in the future and past, they're not real. They're not real. And that is basically means that we're leaking our personal power. And by leaking personal power, that means that we're leaking photonic energy. We're leaking light. Light is non-linear, non-local. It means that our light leaks out of our body and dissipates into the future and past. Mm. And is 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 draining our personal power, is draining our life force by how we think, because where we think is where we see the lights. That's a call to action. <laughs> it's a big call to action. It's it's it's, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but damn, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. But the more you do it, and the more you, however you want to do it, whatever mechanism, you know, if people are interested in this, they can get in touch with me. I do workshops and stuff like that, and personal coaching, but. However you want to do it, the more you come back to present through a process of letting go is, is wicked, you know, because anxiety is ripping our culture apart, yeah, yeah? especially these young kids and their, their iPads and iPhones and tablets and everything like that, where you're putting, you've got 10 tabs open and your, your conscious photonic energy is going through those tabs and on your phone and on your tablet and, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know. YouTube and all that, so it's just like going out. You know, so what the present moment's not being charged up at all. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Um, I could keep you here all day. <laughs> I've, I've got a big cup of mate. So I'm going to going to try and wrap it up. I don't know how. <laughs> I just want to keep opening up more holes and more well, holes and more black I mean, holes. We more. Start looking how photonic energy can be hijacked and used for uh, nefarious purposes. Okay. So let's just say I tell you about something that happened to me that isn't true to reinforce my sense of pseudo-masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's just say, um, oh, yeah, like, uh, I hooked up with these, these three girls and we went to this desert island and, you know, had an amazing time. We were just, like, naked the whole time. We were, like, eating layers and coconuts and, like... I just make up this total. Maybe I was there by myself in reality, and I'm just like, oh yeah, there's all these girls there, like super amazing. You know, you would love. Yeah, yeah. Now, if that didn't actually happen, when I describe something to you, you straight away have a visualization of what it is, Uh right? That means I am pulling, like, I'm pulling your photonic energy into a dimension that didn't really happen. I'm robbing you of the light in your photonic energy. I'm robbing you of your personal power by lying to you and pulling your photonic energy into a dimension that doesn't exist, just through lying to you. Wow. 
and reinforcing my, my personal power. Let's say I have a really beautiful, intimate connection with my lover, and then I tell you all about it. Right? And it really happened. In this case, you are having a visualization of my intimate connection with my lover. This means that you become an observer to the intimate connection with my lover as it happened, as it took place. My intimate connection with my lover, who's it for? It's for me and my lover, uh-huh. not for you. But I'm dumb enough to tell you all about it and then bring you back into the bedroom with my lover and then you're there too. And then you are actually influencing our intimate connection as if someone's watching, which is taking away from the intimacy because we're not as present because we feel like someone else is in the room, which is you because I brought you into the connection by telling you about it and giving you all these details, which means that the intimacy is not as present anymore, retroactively, which will decrease my personal power and decrease my connection with my lover. That's called internal kung fu. That's a very advanced way of working with things like Bell's Theorem and working with Platonic Energy. Whereas I'm pulling you into a situation which may have happened, which influences me and decreases my personal power and my level of integrity, because my lover probably wouldn't want me to tell you that. However, this level of pseudo-masculinity and kind of this um, sexual one-upmanship, oh, you know, like, who did you hook up with? Who, what happened? These guys are boasting and bragging about what they did and what they got. We live in a culture where that is socially acceptable, but it is actually... Um, not so great. However, if I'm in like a different type of relationship where me and my lover are in an agreement where we tell everyone else about all this sort of thing, there's no right and wrong, but it's still taking away from the intimacy of the connection, hmm. right? So it's, 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 it's really far out, man. It's, it's, oh man. We don't really so think truth, that. So truth and energy. Truth and energy, yeah. At the same time, like, you know, stories and stuff like that are interesting because we're telling each other about the past and it's a good thing. Well, you know, that, that, that's good to share stories. But I think to to learn what we need from the story, but don't stay fixated on the story or in, in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. If you have a negative experience and you make a bad decision, like you lie or you hurt someone, don't beat yourself up. You need to learn about how that affected you, how that affected other people, how that affected everyone around you. And to not beat yourself up and to know how to, to, to learn how to not do it next time, how to do it differently next time. So it's amazing once we, like, then, then say my lover finds out that you, I told you all this stuff and then she's upset, you know, and then I'm upset, and then I'm upset with you for telling someone else. Because my breach integrity it actually created a vortex of negativity where everyone feels like that is leaking energy and they're pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. Trespassing yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and this is the sort of thing that can damage people's hearts and close the heart down. And we don't want to do that because that's going to turn us into these like mindless latte crushing brutes driving around in these and um, you know tampering with cricket balls and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah perfect. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, on a big level, this means like uh, the other thing with like photonic energy is walking the talk. That means that if I'm telling you I'm doing something, I've got to do it. Yeah, like I don't have the right to talk about any of this stuff if I'm not doing it. Uh-huh. Okay, so if if I'm talking about respecting women, but I'm I'm actually behind closed doors, uh, really disrespecting my girlfriend, or like am a part of some kind of blog where I'm like hating on women in general, but then I talk about or teach a workshop on on respecting women and why we need to like love the earth and love women and love each other's sexualities. That means that my resonance is not going to be on. That means that a part of my transmission to you is going to feel off. Yeah? 
I'm not going to feel genuine. That means that you actually can tune into my frequency and tell that there's something wrong. Something's you know? off. And you, you can't something's really off. tell when that's like the old guru syndrome, right? When it's something's not right. That's right. That's right. So walking the talk is a very important part of this idea of like warrior consciousness or internal kung fu. It's like if you're going to if you're going to share these sorts of ethical concepts and philosophy and this sort of stuff, you got to do it. Otherwise, otherwise you're actually what you're sharing is is non-integrity. And you are creating this um, this teaching in the, in the world of um, non-genuine way of, of being, and so it's 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 a it's a huge huge thing to walk the talk because on a deeper level, if if I tell you something, you know, around ethics and integrity that I'm not actually doing, I am saying one thing and doing another. That means that there's energy getting trapped in my body. When energy gets trapped in the body, it vortexes. So let's say there's energy. Um, oh, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I've been doing these beach cleanups. You know, it's really amazing. But I'm like totally not doing it. Right? But I'm telling you that I am. That means that my action is doing one thing and my words are doing the other thing. So these energies meet in the body and create these like these etherical little uh, like tornadoes. Uh-huh. This is pretty crazy stuff. Now, this little vortex of energy starts to pull in. It's like a little, uh, it's got its own gravity. It starts to pull in light and trap it in the body. That means that if I'm not in integrity and I'm not doing what I'm actually saying, I'm trapping energy all through my body and I'm getting more and more sick and more and more stiff and more and more agitated. So if you're actually doing the things you're saying and you're walking the talk, that means that your body's going to have more and more free-flowing energy. That's very advanced. Mm. But if you are actually saying one thing and doing another, you are going to eventually trap more and more energy in your body and when you trap energy in your body, they're pulling like light into the body, the light will actually take physical form. So this means that if you have a liquid, like well, it's like a, a, a jar of um, copper sulfate, and you use this in school and you hang a little like a little bit of metal in there and the crystals yeah. are formed on it, yeah? Yeah. The, the, there's enough energy in that copper sulfate, there's enough density for the crystals to appear. Now where's the data for the crystals come from? It comes out of space. That means that if there's enough energy trapped in the body, it will actually crystallize into physical form. And the crystals, the physical form, the crystals are things like cysts and cancers and um, arthritis and disease and stuff like that. So crystallization in the body of the energy that we're capturing through our lack of integrity can create illness. This is why stubborn people get like, uh, you know, people who just, uh, you know, some people get like arthritis and this sort of crystallization. There are physical causes too around diet and lack of detox exercise and stuff like that. But we can also make ourselves quite sick by by how we think and how we communicate. Yeah, this is internal kung fu. What's coming up when you're sharing that is there's a whole cultures that are struggling. Um, like partly my culture is Indian, and um, actually my heritage is Indian. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot in the Asian culture about keeping up appearances. And it's there's a like it's it's full on, it's full on. Um, the level of the word that comes to mind is deceit, but it's it's because it's so culturally widespread. Deceit seems too heavy-handed because it's so culturally accepted. Oh, everyone's doing it, so it's okay, right? <laughs> it's full if on. If you're lying and I'm lying and Mum's lying and Dad's lying and cousin Dave's lying, it's all right. Yeah. But then, why are we all dying when we're 45? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. full on. 
Um, and I think a lot of that comes, again, and I think this kind of comes full circle with what you were saying before and that little monkey example, which we talked about, it's like, again, the strength is in the courage to 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 stand for what is the easiest, yeah. like, it may not be the easiest, but it's the cleanest way to operate, the yeah. operandus pandi, yeah. Well, give me an example of what keeping up appearances means to you when it comes to your cultural background. Uh, okay, this is going to go super personal, um, but uh, I'll share it from integrity, right? So, um, so my mother owns a property in New Delhi, and um, her tenant in India, it's 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 a it's a weird society, right? So, um, her tenant's been living there for ten years. Right. He's been living there long enough for him to now sort of, maybe energetically he feels like he's been there for a long time and, you know, whatever. He's decided that he owns the place. And so he goes away and gets his paperwork made up that looks, and it's and in, a, in, a, in India it's like a, a, they call it a registry, a, a notary registry. Mm-hmm. And because my mum's documents were made ages ago, his documents, even though they're dated to prior to my mother, they look more original than my mum's documents. Because right? they're shinier? No, not because they're shinier, just because they've got all the things that they need to have said in them. Because 10 years ago, there weren't these things that were stipulated that you needed to have in them. Right? Mm-hmm. So, he's, so he's got more, like, more official-looking documents than my mother. And um, in order to... Actually, I've got a better story. Hash that. Let's go back. Okay, so my mum has... My mum invests in real estate in India. Um, so she's got these, these two... She's got this land, and she wants to... Um, someone comes to her, her cousin comes to her, and he brings these four people together, and he goes, these people want to buy your property. Let's say the property is worth, let's say, $200,000, okay? Um, and they're offering her $300,000. So she's like... Wicked sick, let's do this, and then I'll go buy these two little allotments which have nothing on them, and I'll buy them for like, you know, 150 each. I'll turn one thing into two. Good savvy business doing, right? And so she does exactly that. Her cousin brings these people to her. Sweet, let's go. Let's let's create this deal. They sign the paperwork. Rah, rah, rah. You're getting $300,000 for this property that's currently worth $200,000. She knows she's getting a good deal, but these guys are developers apparently. They got way more money coming out of that. They can afford to pay a little bit of a premium. Uh And so she's now gone and been like, cool, well, I'm only in India for four months at a time, so I better go secure this land and and rah-rah-rah, tee myself up. She pays a deposit on this new property, like these two things out of her pocket, hoping Mm -hmm. that the money will come in, the deposit will come back to her. She'll be sweet. This gets drawn out for ages. And she's coming close to the end of her stay over four months now. It's like it, the, the sale is not finalizing. It's not progressing. And she eventually turns around to... Um, she, she ends up quite stressed out because she's making repayments on this property, which money was meant to come from here to there, and it's not happening. So she's stressed mm-hmm. out. And my mom's quite an emotional being. So she um, she decides to... And it's interesting how this all manifests, right? There's a guy, like, so by culture, I'm I'm Sikh. So my dad wears a turban, has a beard, and uh, there's a saying in our culture, actually, that truth is, truthful living is higher than the truth. <laughs> so truth is a is a virtue. 
And um, she, one, in the conglomerate of four, there's this one guy that's a, that's a Sikh. And so she approaches him because she's like, look, my husband is also a Sikh. He's from the same faith you are. I want to understand what's going on here. You know, she's at his house. She's basically crying and on this guy's shoulder. She's like, I want to know why you guys aren't facilitating the conglomerate of the four of you, aren't facilitating my money so well, that I can... What have I? Yeah, I basically, see. tell me. Tell me what's going on. And he's turned around and eventually he's broken down and he's gone, okay, look, what's happened is we've bought your property, right, and you've signed over, but we're waiting for, and I don't know how the legalities and the fine print of this, but we're waiting for a buyer to buy it from us for 400000 And so... They didn't have the money. No. And your property is just hanging. Mm. But you've, you've given us this executionary power. And mm -hmm. she did that because her, my cousin is one of the four in the conglomerate. Mm -hmm. So that's my cousin that's, that's duped. And what, what did cousin say? He duped her on purpose? He, yeah, totally. All right, so. <laughs> totally. But there's, there's yeah. more to this. There's more to this, right? So this, from there, it goes away to, okay, now how does she, how does she get her money? How does she mm -hmm. at least get out of the other two properties and go back into her own property? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what's, what's the resolution here? So she's fortunate enough that her dad is really good friends with the, with the Chief Police Commissioner of India, right? So, uh, of New Delhi, sorry. So she goes, to, she goes to him and she goes, look, this is what's happened to my situation. I, at the very least, just want my property back. This is such a head fuck. I just, can you help me with this? And he goes, okay, these four shady conglomerate, where's their office? They obviously, to get these papers notarized, like, notarized and all that sort of stuff, they have to have an office. And she goes, this is their office. And he's like, cool. So this guy is the commissioner of police, right? So he could easily just walk in and be like, this is fucked up, you've done the wrong thing, sort it out, rah, rah, rah. He comes up with the scheme that he is going to go, right, dressed as a tax auditor, and he's going to go audit these people, and she has to send a fax of her documents to this office so that when he gets there, he, looks at, he inspects these documents and goes, this is not lawful. He's the commissioner of police. Why the fuck does he have to go under the pretense of being someone that he's not? Right? But this is what happens. So he goes as the tax man and he rocks up at the office. He has his conversations with them. He says, this is not lawful. What have you done? And they're like, oh, right, right, right. We'll sort that out immediately. Within a couple of weeks, my mum's money's back to her. Everything's fallen the way that it should. Like nothing happened. What a waste of six months of my mum's life and energy and that sort of stuff. So my cousin deceded my mother. Yeah, this conglomerate of four deceded my mother. Then my mother found someone to tell her the truth. Then the commissioner of police can't even be honest, right, and be himself to rectify the situation. He's going to go with someone else in society to go rectify the situation. And it's like that level, like the, the dishonesty is so present on every level of society in that culture. The commissioner of police dude has got to save face with his bros. Do you know what I mean? Because maybe he's got some, some fingers and some pies too, so he's got to pretend to be someone else. Do you know what I mean? Because maybe he knows these dudes too, <laughs> or something like that. So, and can you see as well the sociopathic behaviour of seeing that these guys know your mum's got the money and that she's nice? Yep. Yeah? And to see that the level of vulture energy. This person's nice, they've got money. We can probably fuck them over. But we're disconnected enough from ourselves and the earth and the feminine to be comfortable with it. Because if we were if we were actually connected, 
and connected and really good guys, we wouldn't be able to live with ourselves. But then she held that guy accountable and he broke down. He was like, look, I'm sorry. You know, I've done, I made a mistake. You know, so it's, it's amazing to see there's a, there's a, um, there's a toxic masculinity issue. There's a, there's a, uh, a sexism issue, mm-hmm. you know, men versus women. But then there's the, just the general idea that they were being vultures and not telling the truth systematically on purpose. Yeah? They call it a sting. It's a sting. It's a scam. Yeah. Yeah. And to see that a sting or a scam on that level, especially if someone who's nice and naive, you're not just like, you're not being Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah? It's, it's really far out. And your, your story is an amazing archetypal example of have so many subtle issues that are, that are wrong all over the world. And it's, it's amazing how, as men, when a woman comes and holds us accountable, to see that as an amazing opportunity where she is sensitive enough to ethics and integrity that she can actually teach us what to do, yeah. how to do it next time. And that she can actually be in her body enough and connected enough to her heart that she will love us and forgive us and give us another chance. So we we have the opportunity to become these these warriors of love and light that the world needs. So that's what we don't know, understand because yeah. my mum forgave my cousin. <laughs> I just yeah, don't get but it. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. That's the lesson for you too. I know. Yeah. I know. Is is the forgiveness and atonement that your mother gave to your family member? Do you know what I mean? Like she, she can see he's not. Evil, yeah. Whether it was from fear or scarcity or bad cultural programming, she can see that there is good in him, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that give and that loving him through his his problems is exactly what he needs, even though if he doesn't know that what's what he needs. And that your mother's example to you is 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 a really good example of how you can be out there in the world. And also a good example of the sort of woman you want to have in your life or the sort of woman you want to have in your life or the sort of daughter you might want to have in the future when it comes to women being absolutely in touch with their hearts and loving men through their impurities out the other side so we can move into the spiritual revolution together as men and women who listen to each other. Because this world needs men who listen to women. If we could, The best thing we could do right now on, planet, on a global level is replace all political leaders with women. Simple. Because what men have been doing in political power, for the most part, has not been working. Mm. We need, we need, women are so much more attuned to their mysticism and to their connection to the earth to make quick, clear decisions that are going to rescue us, basically. Yeah. It's super simple. I was having this conversation on the last podcast and it was, um, it was literally, I was just sharing the fact that sometimes it feels like my girlfriend's working on a seventh sense while I'm working on a sixth sense because <laughs> their sixth sense is already dialed in. They're <laughs> working yes. on a seventh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's this idea of womb consciousness yeah. where the, the, a woman's sexual center is like an extra third eye that is able to perceive the future, able to perceive things in other places and is the source of her joy and creativity and sense of self and that this that 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 we really need to hold space for women and make them um uh welcome them to feel safe and and cherished and loved and that just means that their their sexual center their creative center 
is gonna is gonna blossom in a way to create new life. But when a woman sings, when she's feeling safe and whole and creative, her 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 voice is gonna heal the earth. And women need men to take care of them when they're pregnant and take care of them when they're raising children and to help them out, you know, and so we can raise children together. So it's, when, 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 when women feel really safe and nurtured and loved and supported, that is the love and safety that is going to grow that the new baby's brain mm-hmm. in the same way her brain is developed, where she feels loved and supported and connected to the sun and to the earth. Yeah. And we're going to produce children who are not perpetrators children who are not liars, children who are connected to the universe and to the earth. And that's it. Yeah, because those children, as their brain develops, children's subconscious is swimming in their parents. And if we are loving and supportive of each other, then we're going to produce children who are just divine. That's it. Yeah. And that's our future. Or our now. <laughs> Both and. <laughs> Amazing, brother. Amazing. So I'm going to bring it gently to a close. Um, the I think we've talked a lot. Last time we talked a lot about... Um, anyway, I'm trying to answer your questions for you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, this time around, uh, Times Square, New York, you've got a billboard and you can write whatever you want on it. Um, what are you writing on it now? Oh, Oh, love is all there is. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's much more inviting than last time. Last time it was stop it. Take <laughs> <laughs> that, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wicked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loving the evolution. Awesome. And um, I know this is probably going to be a tough question, and uh, but it's exceptionally one that I want to ask you is if there's one book that we want to drop um, to share with people what's one book I know it's really hard to disseminate it that way but with where you're at now and you want to share with people man for right now yeah right now the hacking of the American mind okay cool yeah you mentioned this is this is so relative because it shows it's 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 showing it's exposing the fact that look man we're all using these MacBooks we're all using this this electronic shit that we're addicted to okay Uh This book is like, all right, this is what's up. The more you're addicted to the stuff, the less happy you are. Uh-huh. If you don't believe that, we're going to go right into the neuroscience of how basically anything that is producing pleasure is actually destroying your brain. And that you're looking for more and more pleasure. Pleasure, dopamine, neurotransmitter. The surface of every cell in your brain. If it gets hit with too much dopamine, yeah. So dopamine's gonna it's gonna blitz them. So they reduce the receptor sites for dopamine. Right? That means that you need more and more dopamine because there's less receptor sites. So you need more and more pleasure, you need more and more Instagram, more and more Facebook, more and more YouTube, more and more like Mars bars and chocolate and shit, you know. So this book goes right into neuroscience of how all of the things that we're sold under the guise of happiness mm-hmm. are actually decreasing our ability to feel happy. Because the more and more dopamine we experience, the more we are um, diminishing our ability to um, produce and experience serotonin. As you're sharing this with me, there was a um, recently Elon Musk made the claim on Twitter that he wants to buy Facebook, and uh, he got a he made this video about what he wants to do with it. And yeah. uh, there's this rocket that goes up into the sky, and two parts yeah. of the rocket fall back to Earth, 
and one part of the rocket that falls back to Earth hits this big red button that says delete. (laughs) 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 Nice. And uh, I think it's tuned into the same consciousness that you're sharing that from, which is, yeah, yeah, he's tuned into basically that these things were programmed with the intention of how your mind operates and how to hijack your mind um, Mm. in the most Mm. effective way possible. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of the intention that he was sharing that from to try and do humanity a service. Yeah, yeah. Do that book, just by the way, I just looked it up, is um, Robert H. Lustig. L-U-S-T-I-G is the author of The Hacking of the American Mind. Um, Fantastic. And if you want to get a little overview of that um, book, you can tune into Coast to Coast AM out of L.A., um, in the United States. That's Coast to Coast AM, which is a website, and you can tune in, look, look up Dr. Robert Lustig on there, and he's got a great interview um, about the book, and it's just awesome. amazing to see how these um, these companies uh, are using the primitive aspects of the human brain mm-hmm. to addict us to time wasting activities, which are taking us away from helping each other out and loving each other and being present and helping the earth and being healed and whole. Yeah, yeah, totally awesome. And last question, brother, is beyond the human experience, beyond this skin suit um, and all time in existence, what are you? Dude, more and more I'm I'm finding that I'm you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it. Like, I was just looking up Lomi Lomi the other day, and Lomi Lomi is Hawaiian mystic massage practice where the massage isn't so much about the physical mechanistic experience of the massage the way we think about a massage is like rub that muscle until it feels good yeah sweet. and maybe you release some energy i don't know whatever lomi lomi is believing that the um or knowing that the, the arms and the hands are an extension of the heart yeah and that we are able to transmit love energy into the other person's body knowing that it's actually our body too knowing there is non-known separation. And it creates this free flow of oneness through a massage where it's not the physical massage, it is the transference of love through the hands from our heart to their body as if it is our body. So we're just giving love freely into the into other people of the universe or the earth through our hands, through our creative ability, through our hands. And it's, it's super beautiful to see that um, this is a selfless idea. You're, you're, you're not looking for any exchange or a, someone to do it back to you or anything like that because the nourishment for your own body is the nourishment in their body because it is your body too. So when you and I are interacting in this way, it is, it's like um, I am you because everything that is growing between us right now is, is, is literally this deepening and knowing superposition, nonlinear dynamics, Bell's theorem, quantum theory, all this sort of thing, is actually showing us that there is no separation. So we're both part of the same uh, spirit, you know. So we are fragmentations of the same God consciousness, creator energy, great spirit, whatever you want to call it. We're both fragmentations of that that are re-meeting each other. And we've been off thinking we're separate and then realizing that we're a part of the same um, human consciousness, the same light, you know, the same source. Yeah. I love it. So it's like we are just ourselves meeting ourselves through the airways here. There's, you're in Melbourne, I'm in Byron Bay. There's actually no separation. There's no separation. You're, you're right here, I'm right there. You know? 
nicely entangled. That's, that's beautiful because people will listen to this talk in, in a day or in a year and they will be present with us now. Mm. Because time's not real. They can hear our voices or watch us on YouTube and we will bring them back into this, this state of um, connection and oneness together. So this talk is more than me and you as well. Um, I am you, you are me, but we're also all the people listening if they want to, you know, and everyone else too. But it's like, it's a, it's a field of oneness. And these fields of oneness that we're creating are also where we're going to change the planet because not only are we just cognitively talking about it, but we're actually beginning to feel the truth in what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And that truth is going to create a cascade of, um, of knowing in our hearts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super, it's super beautiful, man. It's super beautiful. Life's less good, you know. Just remember. <laughs> it's a gift. Life is amazing. Mm. Awesome. Well, I am going to tie it out and I'm going, and I can't do it without thanking you, bro. So it starts with just a massive, massive, massive acknowledgement for, you know, obviously the you that's here and now and sharing all of this um, and taking the time to, to obviously pour into um, sharing so diligently, so with so much effort and energy, everything that you have. And I know it comes to you freely, but I'm still super grateful for it. Um, mm. But also all the work that goes into that behind the scenes, all the all the content, all the reading, and even just all the energy that you put out onto YouTube to share all your videos, um, consistently showing up the way that you do and um, opening up the space that you you make yourself present for, for other people to experience healing and that sort of stuff. Amazing, brother. Amazing. Um, Takes a lot of courage to walk the path that is undefined. So I really respect that and really appreciate that about you. And um, again, you know, sharing your time so willingly. And these podcasts have become truly some of my favorites. You know, like I said to you prior, like, you know, we're still getting feedback on the podcast that we did together. Yeah. yeah, so it's really humbling to, to be able to hold space to share your vibe and your energy with, with the tribe here and, and beyond. So just mm-hmm. humbly, humbly, truly, thank you so much. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I just want to throw that back at you as well. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, the easiest way to do that at the moment is? Dude, um, you can connect me at opportunitytoheal at gmail.com. You can check out my website anopportunityheal.com. You check me out. A lot of my ideas and thoughts and everything like that, I track them up on Instagram. So an opportunity heal inside Instagram. So that's like Instagram slash an opportunity heal. Uh, you can search an opportunity to heal in YouTube. You get my YouTube channel. Um, an opportunity to heal in SoundCloud and also Facebook. An opportunity to heal. Or you know, um, tune with me on Facebook, Tristan Bray on Facebook. You know, um, there's another way too. It's pretty easy. You know, there's a lot. It's pretty. I'm pretty. I'm pretty easy to contact. And also, dude, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. You're a good interviewer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I interview people. Like, you're teaching me to be a better interviewer. And you, you keep the ball rolling. And your questions, like, like, whoa, man, like, good questions. Like, I don't know what I know until you ask me, man. Like, you know, so thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for sending me that T-shirt. Hey, yo, yes. It's pimping. Pimping inspired evolution. Yeah. <laughs> That's a new you know, I feel good way. Um, yeah, you. love it, love it. So I love what you're doing, and um, this is this is amazing collaboration, um, synergy, um, what you created here to get this 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 love out because um, we both know that this information heals people and gives people hope, and it's um it's just so it's just super beautiful opportunity to heal. <laughs> love you brother Thank so, so blessings you. on your life man and um, you keep keep it up and I hope to see you soon somehow somewhere I can't wait I know it's already happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah!
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.